Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to another extra special edition of Thrush and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that can only be described as the podcast equivalent of farting in your younger brother's face. Speaking of younger brothers, I'm your host for today, Aaron, and lingering like the old fart he is, I'm joined by the Tweedledee to my Tweedledum bitch, my co-host Gareth. Greetings and salutations. How are you doing? Uh, as always, a backhanded compliment on my introduction, but I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yes. Jeez, you turned 50 and all of a sudden you're old. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I know. Tell me about it. Oh, look, I, I've been shaving my hair for years just to shave my hair. Um, I don't have to. I'm just, I'm just letting nature do that. Yeah. Well, now I'm doing it because I'm going gray. So incredibly. No, rapidly. gray's good. And yeah. Yeah. I know that. I know this but... won't help you, but chick, chicks dig gray. Okay. <laughs> Bald is also sexy. Um, no, Great. Grey is sexy. Bald is sexy. Yeah, I know it is. I know I know it is. Beards are also very sexy. My dad didn't go bald nicely, and that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I don't want to... I'm not. I'm trying to avoid turning into him. How does one go bald nicely? Is it like a... No, there, there are ways. But last week with Jeremy, mm. fantastic having him on. What, a, what an absolute honour to... With the, it's been a long 27-something yes. years. With a... With a great head of hair, as it turns out. Why are you jealous? I was. I was. I go, look at that guy's hair. <laughs> well, he's a little bit older than you. Which has made me more jealous. So anyway. Um, condition. Condition, children. Look after your hair. <laughs> don't dye it. Don't, don't fuck it up with chemicals. Mm-hmm. Condition it. Wash it. Condition it. All right? Look after your hair and, and try not to wear a hat too much, which I have. So, um, yeah, no weight updates this week. Okay, you've, you've lost most of the podcast right now. Yeah, though. I have. Sorry. Um, you've lost two thirds of the podcast with your anti-hat stance. Metal heads, cut your fucking hair. Seriously. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm being mean. Mm, yes, and we're coming, we're coming up to Easter. So big plans for Easter. Well, yeah, but this is airing in May. Yeah. Okay, Easter's been cancelled this year anyway, so maybe it'll happen again in May. Well, no, because we'll be doing Jesus Christ Superstar next week, so we'll have our Easter next week on the show. How about that? Oh. But guess what? What? An Aussie, a Kiwi, an American walk into a bar, but only the Aussie can walk out straight. <laughs> Anyways, we have a Broadway diva in the factory today. Today's guest made his Broadway debut by pissing off an activist witch. Don't worry, we've all used Twitter. Mm. In the mega Broadway smash hit Wicked, only to then almost pop up in the hit Broadway flop, Holler If You Can Hear Me, before culturally reappropriating bowler haircuts in today's chosen musical. But on screen, you saw him in NBC's Peter Pan Live, Girl Next, followed up by the superstar Phil, Jesus Christ Superstar, in concert, where he had us asking, are they eggplant pants or are you just happy to see Jesus? Plus, he's toured USA as Olaf in Disney's Frozen, but his biggest strength is as a singer-songwriter whose charm, good looks, and dreamy voice forced me to say, ugh, I hate that guy. Please give a huge g'day to Mr. F. Michael Haney. Welcome to the Torture Chamber. How are you doing? What an intro. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm both honoured and um, I'm a little turned on, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, never, I, never, I never thought about my, my plum pants being uh, something John Legend was going to be into, but now... Now I gotta like I gotta ask him. I gotta be like, so, were you into those pants? 
I mean, you we'll we'll talk about it, I'm sure in a little bit, yes. but like that was less than three months after I finished playing Augustus Gloop. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had most of my head shaved with a mohawk. They gave me like tattoos on my head. It was, Gosh. oh, I mean, it was a dream as I'm sure we'll get into also. Like it was before I'd ever gotten any of my real tattoos. And I just like, I was like, oh, I get to be like an adult person with a beard and I get to sing <laughs> rock and roll music and I get to hang out and not have to be a fucking child so i was absolutely thrilled to get to do jesus uh, jesus christ superstar live it was a it was a blast yeah and working with alice cooper i'm sure was a oh a thrill but he he also like i I remember seeing him in wayne's world like to be honest that was my first experience (laughs) of of like visually putting together the songs that i had heard that were alice cooper and then Mm -hmm. visually what alice cooper was and then when i met him for the first time working on the show he was the guy in the dressing room in the yeah. wayne world oh was he he's just Wise like hey and, yeah how's it going guys everybody doing all right and i was like really you're not like drinking blood and like <laughs> you know you've got you must have a riding crop that you're gonna hit somebody yeah, yeah. with like do does this make is this makeup like tattooed on you at this point and no he kind of just is a he's a really nice pleasant guy and yeah. I, I think my favorite moment of the whole thing with with alice like I like we're best friends now um uh like sitting next to him in the green room to do the live show and a lot of us were kind of nervous because there's a there's a weird moment where you know you're doing the show live and for that one we actually had an audience where Peter Pan we did not it was a silent room it was the weirdest thing I've ever done but for Superstar we had an audience which was fun but we also knew that it was being filmed for the forever of it all and so there was a there was a big nervous about that and I was like man, this is a, you know, you don't know how many millions of people are watching on this thing. And I looked at him and I was like, are you even nervous? And he goes, I think I'm in the Guinness book for the largest outdoor concert in history. And I was like, yeah, cool. All right. So I'm not worried about you anymore. I would have noticed that when we start the show and I do the countdown, I do the Wayne's World countdown and I nod my head along like the boys do, because that also was a huge part of my childhood and uh, Gareth's adulthood, I'm sure. By then, <laughs> how old was I? 1991. 91. I was 20. 20, yeah. So, you know, I was still a child at 20. Still a child at 30. Anyway, we'll stop there. I'm, I'm still a child. Another Aquarian. As F is an Aquarian. I, I am that as well. Yeah, end of January. Oh, I checked out Celeb Gossip something or other and they had these weird, weird stats on you and it was hilarious. I am fascinated by those stats. Someone told me what my net worth is supposed to be, mm. and I want to know where that money is. I would love it. <laughs> I, I hate that when when you search a celebrity and it comes up with net worth automatically as one of mm. the, the suggestions. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. really dirty that that's coming up. I would never. It's none of my fucking business. Like, why do I need to know that? Why are people searching this up? Yeah. What is your intentions there? That's what I would like to know. If you're a journalist, you would probably have avenues to find that out. You'd think, not fucking good. Google. Yeah, it's all there. Sometimes I do it and I go, what? You're worth more than that. Come on. So there's a tax haven. Where's Show me your Cayman Islands account. That's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, I just want to throw it back to Jesus Christ Superstar mm. for a minute because I know you said Mohawk F. Uh, mm. I beg to differ. That was a faux hawk. Wow. That's, I know, that's very true. I, I know a Mohawk when I see one. <laughs> I had a very good Mohawk when I was younger, about six inches long. So... It wasn't oh, a, yeah. one of these pissy yeah. little ones that they do on these magazine covers and they've got their oh. hair tied up at the back. Oh my God, it just drives me nuts. Yeah, for, so. for me, it was, it was you know, I, as 
someone who plays a lot of children for whatever reason as a <laughs> grown ass adult. Yep. Trust me. It's because when I talk, I sound like this, unless I'm trying to be cool around like two podcast hosts. Oh, you know, it's, I'm trying to sound like an adult, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's this thing of, uh, it was the first time that I got a haircut for the show that made me look cooler. Like usually it's <laughs> oh, like, is that, it's is like that what you thought it did. Uh, hey, how about yeah. a blonde bowl cut? Mm. Yeah. Now I got like, I got you know, admit. so it was, it was this very, <laughs> funny oh, moment of you know they were like what do you want to do with your hair and i was like i don't know and they went can we do whatever we want and i was like yeah go to town so they shaved to the skin and it was the first time i had had yeah. from like literally the crown of my head all the way down was absolutely just skin it, yep. it's flesh that had not seen the light of day since i was a baby so <laughs> yeah. you know and and i i maintained it for a while like i shaved it myself every day and i just can't wait till i'm old enough to actually play uncles I'm never going to look old enough to play dads. It's always going to be that cool uncle. That's like the thing. So I just can't wait till I can fully, I shaved my head this summer during the pandemic and it was so great to never worry about what my hair looked like. Mm. And I just, I think you guys were saying earlier, bald is beautiful. Yeah. Like balding for me, not, not a, not, not going to be a good look. I'm not going to go through it. Cause I'm still going to have this like Wally Sean baby face. <laughs> And gonna just be, they're going to be like, who's that old baby? And not who is that adult man? I did the COVID head shave too. And then got told I look like a criminal. So I actually, from, that was my girlfriend. She goes, no, you actually look like, you look like a walking mugshot. You need to grow your hair back. Am I the only person who had any sort of self-respect or dignity last year? It's because I couldn't get to my hairdresser. There was no, no other reason for really? it. Yeah. I felt like I kicked ass last year and everyone else was like, oh, I was lazy. I'm like, really? I got called lazy before that. No one could call me lazy for last year. I thought everyone started podcasts during the pandemic. Well, they did. Mm. They did. Looking at ourselves. There. We should talk about... <laughs> we should... Yeah, I know. Looking at my, my studio. Yes. We we should talk about music. We, we should, because this week I was given an album. Not by me. No, we were given by our guest. F, would you like to tell our audience what album you chose for the metal side of things this week? I chose the Metallica album titled S&M, a thing that I didn't know what it meant when I saw the title first. I was like, oh yeah, Symphony and Metallica, which is what it means. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize there was a, a another implication to that title. Um, but yeah, it is it is a greatest hits slash they debuted new music on this record, but it was a Metallica album that came out in, oh, was it 2000? Is that no, crazy? Nine, yeah, 99. 99. Yeah, it was a 99 album, but it was live with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, a full ass orchestra. Um, and it was a two, two half set. It was a giant set. Mm. Um, and they played uh, a live show. It was also recorded for a DVD um, and yeah. That's 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 what we're that's what we're tackling first. Yes. Symphony of Metallica. Yes. Now for for our listeners at home who may be wondering, why the fuck are they doing Metallica? Like you've promised us there would never be any Metallica. Now if we we throw back to episode 19 Can Can with Children of Bodom where Gareth decided to throw me for a sixer and I gave him a free five stars. Mm. That's now been taken away. Mm. Sorry to Children of Bodom. Oh, okay. So that's being split between Metallica and Children of Bodom because they're okay with special that. let's compensate for that dumpster fire of an episode where Gareth made me cry. Thank <laughs> you very much, Gareth. We all heard it. It's going in my highlight reel. 
it's okay. We got something out of it, so yeah. <laughs> we got something, out, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm I'm cool with it. Yes, but anyways, would you like anyway, to hear my review? I would like to hear what you thought. Very much so. Yeah, cool. Because I, I we, we as we said we said we did metal liquor. Ah, oh, I see what you did. There. When I first saw the album, I wasn't sure if we should do metal liquor, considering my constant exposure to them as a kid. But given our guest's generosity of his time, I let Gareth override me, mm. and he should be thankful I let him ride me without buying me dinner first. <laughs> Anyways, I have some thoughts, but not really any jokes. For how does one even begin to write jokes about a band that takes themselves so seriously? That's already comedy gold right there. <laughs> Upon rehearing this gem again for the first time in 20 years, I found the concept to be just as strong, but the execution felt like a missed opportunity, much like my firstborn child. But before I elaborate on that, first I must mention that while there were some familiar hits on this, Mostly I felt like this epic collaboration needed more songs that hit the stratosphere. You're crazy not having Sanitarium. And where's anything from Kill 'Em All? That knocked me dead. Heck, where's the Unforgiven? That is simply unforgivable. The Unforgiven would smoothly translate into a classical hybrid, which leads me to my main point. But before I get to that, Mention must be made to the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra for their willingness to participate in the most unlikely pairing since Gareth and I, or F. Michael and his Augustus wig. <laughs> but therein lies my issue, which I'll get to in a minute. I found the spoken word moments to be awfully fitting for a band like Metal Liquor, who strike me more as awkward with public speaking, much like Gareth. And I have to wonder, did Metal Liquor bicker and argue in front of classy classical musicians? Because that'd be epic if they did, and I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room. But I digress away from my main point. My biggest beef with this album, which clocks in at over two and a half days long. It was long, and I mean long. But thankfully, Metal Liquor have an interesting array of topics within these reorchestrated hits. And it is in fact the orchestrations of which I have many thoughts on. Many, many thoughts. I have to wonder though, could this be turned into a ballet? The answer is yes, because I can picture it in my head every single time I listen to it. I can see the story, the, the, the songs are playing out. I can see how it would, would, would play. Like, anyways, where was I? Oh yes, my main thesis. Oh shit, also the set list, again, fucking metal bands in the wrong order with one being nowhere near the first track mm. and Enter Sandman missed its spot at the beginning of Act 2 which is definitely the stronger half on this CD. And to highlight my main beef with this album, which has since expanded to extra crispy S&M 2 and hot and spicy recorded in Italy, or am I doing that thing again where I make shit up? Anyways, to come to my main criticism, which now I've completely forgotten. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Anyways, five stars. Mm. No, I'm kidding. Um, my main point is I think actually the classical music could have been integrated within Metallica and Metallica integrated within the classical mm. a little bit more. Mm. Swap some instruments mm. over. Instead of Metallica playing fucking Metallica, take your drums somewhere else. Take your guitar somewhere else and let other instruments. You know what I mean? Like mm. uh, when you're putting two bits of clay together, you scratch each side right and you wet it and then you push it together okay. that's what they needed to do instead what they've done is they've got metallica here on one layer and then they've just juxtaposed the symphony behind mm. it there are moments where it integrates in really really well yep. but i think there are so many more moments where it could have been integrated so much better in, in my opinion um if i can jump in i agree with you a little bit yeah. there 
Wow. Um, no, I do agree with the integration. And I think when you go to, and I, I don't want to talk about this one too much, but when you go into S&M 2, I think that's when they really got it and they got the whole integration. And there's and there's one part in there oh, where they? I don't know who the musician is and, and I'm sorry for hit, for that, but there's a guy that plays the cello and he plays uh, Cliff Burton's Anastasia Pulling Teeth bass solo. And the first time I saw it, it gave me chills and it still gives me chills every time I see it. Anyway, that's the second one. Are you thinking of Yo-Yo Ma? It could be. I'd have to look it up. But the first, yeah, first S&M, there was some parts there. It kind of felt like we're just going to lay the orchestra sort of or lay them over the top or put them in the background. Yeah. And other parts, it, it worked really well. But when you're a metal fan in 1999, and you know, Kiss had done this before, and it wasn't it wasn't new. And they did it with Melbourne as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, because that's yeah. the only orchestra that will play with Gene Simmons, basically. It was yeah. I thought I was meant to be the bitch on this show. Gene's never coming on the show. Don't worry. It was mind blowing. And you're right about the second the second part being stronger than the first. And I think a lot of that's got to do with the first half was a lot of song selection. Yeah, there was a lot of um, stuff from Load and Reload, and you know, we're all we're always about old Metallica versus new Metallica, so. Apart from Master of Puppets, and you know, after S- Ecstasy of Gold, like the intro and Call of Cthulhu, Master of Puppets, that dun, 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 with the with the violins, just like <laughs> head explode. That's it. We're done. That was great. Yeah. What do you think, F? Here's my honest thing. So I grew up as a band kid. That's what I yeah. wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a band director. I never thought I wanted to be an actor. That didn't happen until late in high school. You've got the um, hat for it. No, you know, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to be a band director hat. Shoot. I just can't yeah. wait for the podcast audience to uh, then imagine what hat I could what? be wearing that yeah. would elicit that response. So I don't want to give it away. Um, <laughs> it's a train true. conductor's hat. Um, but, <laughs> um, but no, I, I so when when I was a kid, I was a nerd. Both of my parents played Dungeons and Dragons. I grew up, you know, watching every every sci-fi movie. I'd seen Star Trek TNG in order because that's the only way to watch TNG. Like, so I had done all these things that made me unliked. And then my mom started teaching at this really uppity school. And so I was a kid that did not fit in with all these rich kids from the American South. So I listened to classical, classical, classical music because it's what I wanted to do. I listened to Ludacris and other like hip hop artists from the South that I loved because I loved the the conversations. I thought they were funny. I thought there was like, it was beautiful. I loved the way words worked. And I listened to Metallica. I loved the the symphony of it. Like it, before there was ever a symphony. When I listened to the original Master of Puppets record, mm. he, you hear these things like meter changes and key changes. Mm. And it's, it's stuff that if you if you played Metallica for a top 40 band now, mm. they wouldn't understand, many of them, wouldn't understand the musical complexity. That was, I think, what alienated a lot of audiences more. Like, this is not metal. I'm not trying to, like, make sound like an idiot. But, like, when you look at Queen and how popular they were mm. versus Rush and how popular they were... Mm-hmm. Rush was less user friendly, whereas yep. Queen was is amazing. But like you know, the the melodies made a little bit more sense. They didn't have Y Y Z, which is the the meter changes were the Morse code for th- those letters in Morse code. Mm. So when when I watched this for the first time as a kid, I had never seen something that I considered popular music mixed in with something that I considered classical music. Mm. So. I, I, I lost my mind. I mean, literally, I remember sitting at my friend Samer Offman's house and putting it on because we played we played Enter Sandman at the talent show. I played bass. 
I still have the same bass that I played it on. Nice. My first, my first guitar, I had to get an acoustic guitar as my first guitar because that's what I was learning on, and I didn't, I couldn't afford an amp. So I got a black, like glossy Sigma thin body acoustic electric guitar because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm metal as hell. <laughs> um, and so I was teleported back when I went and watched this again because I, I know I know it, but I hadn't returned to it until we were going to do this. So I, I, I sat there watching it and the opening was like this metal cowboy anthem. Like it, it made me feel like like Westworld. Yeah. There's this like almost like showdown at the OK Corral, the, the, the things, then all the band members come in the pomp and circumstance of it is absolutely like it's jeans and boots and it feels mm. even though it's symphony it feels this thing and later i looked up that michael Kamen, who was mm. the conductor of the orchestra for that night also did and i'll try to, try to look up a list of it in a minute but he did the scores for so many films yeah like so many films it would shock you and he so died, I didn't think he? he did in, uh, very, very 90, young, like 55 yeah, or seven. I yeah. think it was. Yeah. I think that it's, it's really brave not knowing who's going to come to see that. Cause like I went and saw Ben Folds sing with the San Francisco symphony orchestra. Yeah. And that is exactly, that's a, that's a base hit. You have a bunch of nerds who love music and Ben Folds is a giant nerd who loves music. So that it all makes sense mm. with this. It was, you have someone who's going to sit there who dresses up to go to the symphony. And then mm. you have someone in jeans that have never been washed and who goes, <laughs> I want to stand up and fight. So the fact that we sat through 11 minutes at the beginning of this thing, yeah. waiting for the entrances of these like the desperados, these heroes of the, of the story coming out was the most musical theater thing I think I've ever seen. And <laughs> yeah. so you have you have Lars come out, who's the only one who has the audacity to wear a white shirt. The rest <laughs> of them are in all black. And Lars, Lars especially as like a, a monkey armed bitch that he is, it's like all <laughs> over the place. Like he wears a long sleeve white shirt. Yeah. He's out of his mind. And so you're sitting there and you're and you're going through this thing and it's intense. And and for me it was this mixing of you have the strings and then you have the electric strings of the guitar and you have the two guitar players from the show but there were no you know there are no guitar players from the show from the band and then you have the you don't have any guitar players in the orchestra and then you have the double basses the stand-up basses in the symphony orchestra and then you 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 layer on like a sexy peanut butter the the full feel of an electric bass mm. and so you're sitting there watching this whole thing happen and then you go okay so they're gonna it's gonna swell and it's gonna get gigantic and it's gonna be the opening of 2001 space odyssey you know what i mean you're expecting mm. that and instead what they do is they go fuck it and 11 minutes in they pull back our, our our desperado hero got gunned down in the fight and he's dying in the the maid in the village's arms and that's when you descend into hell and it clicks over to the next track and they hear those four chords that the audience went butt fuck yeah. when you hear bum Bum, bum, bum. everybody knew exactly what song it was and because that song's so fucking long you go i know master of puppets is about to happen to my face for a significant amount of time yeah i can't imagine the the like power dynamic shift in the room of like all of the metal fans who are going like what did i get myself into this is kind of weird and then you have all the symphony people going oh yes they're nice they're nice boys sitting there playing like every every time every time like um james hetfield would sit on a stool Mm. and had a, he'd like, he had like a stand with music on it he doesn't need that and he's sitting there and he's like watching the conductor being like yes 
yes, maestro, I'm playing with you. And then, you know, screams. So for me, going back for those 12 minutes of the intro and then into Master of Puppets, it took me right back to the things that I I know why this st stayed with me for all these yep, years. Yep, yep. Because it was combining those things that I love so much. That being said, in, in my 16 years as a, as a professional performer living in New York, I, I've gotten to run into some of the gre greatest singers alive. And, and I mean that very seriously. Some that you have absolutely heard of, like Sarah Bareilles and John Legend, and some of them that you've never heard of, like people who are young singer-songwriters who may blow up or may just be something that just mm. it never that never happens for them in that kind of way. And I don't think I respected in the same way singers and lyrics as much as I did right after my like big love of Metallica happened as a young man. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I started to fall flat on 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 my actual feelings about Metallica because I went, oh, when I listened to like them young, like the young records, mm. James Hetfield's voice is bonkers. Mm -hmm. He's all over the place. He's he's singing absolutely like legendary, iconic, like metal singing. And then this was not it for me vocally. And I know that seems like a weird note to give on the symphony show, but like he seemed to do a lot of weird like vowel modulation. And like there seemed to be a lot of like tone on his voice. Like it was just weird because the, the funny thing I would never think about like metal singers, what they do is vocal Olympics. And I mean that, I mean that very seriously. It's like when, when people go like, oh, it's so dangerous for their voice. I go, but they do it every single day. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. a reason. You have to learn how to do that stuff safely. Like mm -hmm. I do a lot of voices and voiceover kinds of things. And you have to learn how expansive your voice is. I mean, we'll talk about it maybe a little bit with Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but like I had to- Is that a genuine, sorry, is that a genuine New York City yes. uh, ambulance or police? Cause that's That exciting. is the NYPD that's, that's streaming down the- yeah. uh, um, nice. Well, that might be Jimmy um, Smith's. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, the, re the reboot of uh, Law & Order CI is coming. Um, <laughs> oh, joy. No. Oh. <laughs> But so, so I think it was this, that was the weird thing that it was almost as if he was either, you know, sick or fighting something or just getting older, or, you know, maybe he was having trouble at home. I, I know that he battled a, a long, long thing with addiction after mm -hmm. like probably during, but you know, he confronted that later in his career. Um, mm -hmm. And also like, to be totally frank, I, I have a, I have a signed and justice for all CD cool. and I got it when I was a kid. It was a really, really cool, oh, yeah. like touchstone for me even though that was not my favorite record it was just one that my my mom got for me and it was really so cool but I also went back and I was like wait one of these names doesn't seem familiar and it's because I was so used to the original billing mm -hmm. and then that's when for the first time because you know the internet wasn't in my fucking pocket mm. like kids now <laughs> I actually like went on a website and read about the history of Metallica and yeah. I was like they were on tour and yeah. their bass player died and mm. that puts that puts a, a like a tone over all of the work they did after that. And like, you know, they, there are lots of easy jokes at Metallica's expense, like the whole Napster thing. And, you know, they're, the rich get richer. And it, it, there, there's a lot to be said. But I go knowing the the trauma that these human beings went through, it, it shows up in their music. I mean, the Black Album, you know, Metallica, like that album, that was I think that was the one that resonated the most for me as 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 like a kid listening to yeah. that record, I was like, this thing is dark. And, but also mm -hmm. like, 
beautiful. Like it mm-hmm. still had these hard moments, but then mm. you had nothing else matters, which is almost yeah. the cliche, not metal ballad. Yeah. Like, so it was, it was this really amazing thing. And I think going back, my biggest notes are, it opened up for me a possibility of the idea of a genre versus the idea of a product are so unrelated. And it is something that so many different, uh, you know, mediums are, are struggling with right now. I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier, Holler If You Hear Me was a show I did on Broadway with Tupac, one of the most celebrated hip hop artists of his lifetime, certainly. People were kind of making jokes about it. Honestly, people were like, a hip hop show on Broadway, that's not Broadway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and not for any lack of talent. The cast was unbelievable. And like Conan O'Brien, and who I think is a great comedian, was making jokes about the Tonys, which were right before we started previews. And on the Tonys, um, I think it was Hugh Jackman, LL Cool J, and maybe Pharrell. They did the opening of Music Man as a hip hop track. Mm. And so he started as a joke, Conan O'Brien started hashtag no rap on Broadway right before we started performances. That was Ouch. not the problem. It wasn't like Ouch. Conan single-handedly took our show down. But now the same people that I knew that were like, like I literally would tell people, they're like, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm in the Tupac show. And they're like, that's funny. What are you really doing? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in the Tupac show on Broadway. Oh, no. And they're like, that's nuts. Is that real? And then they never came and saw it. But now those are the same people that are like, oh, oh, do you, do you have any tickets to Hamilton? You have Broadway oh. friends. Like, do you have Hamilton tickets? And I go, listen, what, what Lynn wrote with Hamilton is, I mean, he doesn't need my help. It's doing very well. But I go, That's- it is a, a homogenous learned version of hip hop that it like if you want to hear Lynn's hip hop in another venue, listen to Freestyle Love Supreme, listen, listen to the stuff that he does off the cuff. This was very well-written musical theater with huge elements and draws from hip hop, like thoughts and culture. So I think, I think SNM, why I want to give it lifetime stars, five out of five. <laughs> Going back to it, stars, four trombones out of seven cellos. Wow. Be- because oh God, I, you I know, failed maths. What, what does that equal? No idea. I just, I failed, um, I failed making it work. You always carry the cello, but that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it was. I think it was this thing, and again, forgive the sirens. Um, uh, no, it's but... exciting. We're, look, we're in Melbourne, okay? Oh, there you go. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm in Melbourne. He's in Perth, which is, if you think Australia is, is the arse end of the world, you haven't been to Perth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You've clearly never been to New York. No, anyway. I haven't been to New York. But... I, love New, I love New York. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing. I haven't been to New York, so therefore things like a pretzel on the street, which may taste like cardboard, and I would never eat a pretzel full stop, but that will excite me because it's New York City. Absolutely. So I got a fucking subway ticket just because it's New York. Just don't drink the coffee off the street. Yeah, it'll, no, it'll get you. No, no, I don't hate myself that much. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, anyway. Uh, sorry, um, you were saying about uh, we went to maths. <laughs> oh, was... but what I was saying was like, I think, I think what it represents is maybe, and forgive me if I'm way off base here, but maybe this represents an interesting bridge for the two of you about what the show is all about exactly which is the yep. you know i when when i tell my friends my musical theater friends who like know every word to 42nd street when they say like oh like oh what's that and i go oh it's metallica and they're like oh that's like metal uh, i can't do that and i go what do you what do you literally what are you talking about 
because so many of like you listen to bands like you know fallout boy and panic at the disco mm. and you go "Ooh, what's that noise and you go a lot mm. of it's like big band like yeah. it's big band mm. put onto different mm. instruments like mm. it's music music evolves as people evolve mm. and i think what's interesting about this is you took two of the most truly alienating like groups of the world mm. and you put them together in that room i mean it'd be like nascar fans and Broadway fans somehow having something to watch together. I can't imagine a more like uneven thing. But when you when you get out of the way of the expectations of the the material, I think what's under there is the thing that that we like. Mm. That you know you might not like every metal band because you might not like you know screamy death metal. But at the end of the day, if you like fashion, check out these metal bands. These yeah. these people have been have been crushing in in fashion and aesthetic and like, I mean. This is Spinal Tap is is such a brilliant <laughs> film that kind of represents the absolute ridiculousness of like professional musicians, mm. but in many ways it's not that far off. It's so yeah, it's not. No. Yeah, also one of my one of my favorite movies. So I I think the best thing I can say about about this record is. It, it is long on a rewatch on a rewatch and a re-listen re i was like i forget that back in the, the day as the kids say back in the day when you looked when you looked at something like master of puppets it was maybe what like eight tracks nine tracks it, yeah. it's not it's not a long record nine, and it's not definitely not one of these 20 track epics no and you go it's because they had a concentrated thought they went in and they probably recorded it in just a couple of days mm. and it is to represent you know a thought a sound and then you do the tour you write new stuff you go out but you're like touring the record to mm. do the record not mm -hmm. we want to do the thing to sell the hit to do the yeah. all all this like business stuff that is is being figured out now in so many weird ways i think what the this concert represented especially for me as a young performer was the theatricality of it didn't alienate me from the music more than when the music did alienate me like when mm. there were moments that i was mm. like oh i just don't like that song or like they played a couple mm -hmm. of at the time new ones yeah. and i was like mm, this doesn't hit like like mm. like i know metallica like yeah. i went metallica yeah. But they were having they were having issues with branding anyway because you know they cut off all their hair oh. and they wore all black all of a sudden and weren't wearing jeans and yeah. like you know I, I can't imagine being a band that's been around for that long and not pissing off every single fan at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. there was it was interesting because in this this was that era of Metallica when they cut their hair and when you're a when you're a metal guy and James Hetfield cut his hair it was like whoa no can't do that and then and it was just like okay what's going on here and it was yeah it was a bit alienating for and then they came up with load and reload which there's some really great tracks on there but there's there's some really not so great ones listening back to this I was listening in the car and I did find myself kind of just skipping a a couple of mm -hmm. a couple of you know and I, I you know devil's dance and bleeding me was you know again not really doing it for me and and minus human didn't wasn't great but in there distilled down was just some absolute real bangers and when you play one with the san francisco symphony orchestra good night this yeah. is one of those is a performance the first time i saw heard this is when i saw it which was on the dvd and we all knew it was coming mm -hmm. and everyone was hanging out for it. So actually listening to it in the car on Spotify doesn't, again, doesn't do it justice. Yet it is really, and like you said, you know, they, it is, it's the pomp and the, and the ceremony and the theater of these dudes walking out in, you know, ripped mm -hmm. jeans and boots and, and, and black shirts surrounded by 
you know, guys in tuxedos with, um, you know, all sitting up very straight and they've got their music in front of them. And I go, come on, Metallica and play without the music. Have you not yep. been to rehearsal? What is going on? So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you chose this one rather than, yeah, just one of their studio albums, I think, because this is, this is what Metallica is. I think it's what they are. Because they've been around, like you say, they've been around for so long and everyone shits on them. But every time I've seen them live. But everyone loves them. But they, yeah, it's a love. I know it's, it's, yeah. It's very good. Even I shit on them, but I love them. Yeah. Every time I've seen them live, they have just blown me away. And I've gone to festivals and going, you know what? I can't remember what festival it was, but I went, I'm going to do half a Metallica. And then I'm going to go and see um, The Offspring. Because I've never seen The Offspring. Halfway through Metallica, there was no way I was leaving. There was no, it was just like, sorry, Noodles, I'm going to catch you on the next tour. Um, but this is, and it's, they, there's so much power in their, you know, their, their performances are, when you're in that live, uh, when you're in that live setting, their, their performances are flawless. You know, James hasn't got, like you say, you know, he hasn't got the greatest technical voice. He's not Rob Halford or he's not Bruce Dickinson, but it, it kind of suits, and yeah, you were right. He's he's kind of developed it to a stage where now, early on, it was a little bit um, all over the place. But he's kind of developed to a stage now where that's that's kind of um, yeah, that's his voice, that's his sound. And when he gets stuck, he just goes, "Yeah, oh, his his like the, all the interstitial stuff that happens on every and every when when you'll hear him be like, here your name and now who's square here, master." Yeah, oh, you got right. You're just like you're. He, he he sounds like a guy who you're ordering food from, and then you say it, and he repeats your order back, and you're like, "Yeah, can I get? I'm gonna get a, a you know a turkey melt with um a, you know a Swiss cheese, pickles, lettuce, mayo, onions, mustard, salt, pepper, vinegar." And he goes, "What are you gonna get about your mom? Yeah, yeah." <laughs> and then walks away, and you go, "Yes, yes, that." <laughs> But then you know what? You eat that fucking sandwich, and mm. it's gonna be great. That, oh, that's yeah. now the most New York thing you have said <laughs> so far in this <laughs> the, interview. The turkey, the turkey. That's not even my sandwich order. I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> what sounds cool? Turkey melt. No, you're you're right. Them them as a band, they do have. Um, I haven't seen them play live myself, but oh, I have I've watched a lot of God. their performances. But I, I can see that they they do have that gravitas to them, just their presence that themselves but i actually i think he does have a pretty good voice um but i i agree with in this snm album or this uh, this original recipe one his voice <laughs> yeah like the the nothing else matters he's like and nothing else matters like really that's it you're not gonna hold that note a little bit no no because you got nothing else yeah yeah and you could just finish it off and then i don't have to hold it but it doesn't sound good yeah no but that's yeah. It doesn't sound good though. It it sounds like his voice caught in his throat or something like that. You know what I mean? Like maybe he drank milk during the the interval. But I will I say if, being able yeah, to do a 2 hour show. Mm. Like two like each 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 half was like 60 something minutes. Being able to do yeah. that in general as a lead singer is a I I I sang a 4 hour wedding once where no one wants to not hear hits so you're I lost my voice for 2 weeks. I'm not kidding. Oh wow. But to do 2 hour set is insane. But I'll, I'll be honest after I watched that I started going like man I got I got to I got to know. So I went back and listened to some of his very, very young stuff. And mm. I was like, oh, you know, maybe it was the life. The life took it out of him. It happens yeah. to so many performers, like especially okay. actors that like you you do stuff for a long time and you go, oh, they don't have the notes like they used to. Mm. But they then I then I watched one and it was the, the weirdest 
waking nightmare I've ever watched, which was them performing like a couple of years ago in the rain, Mm. like in the middle of this like outdoor festival. And you know what? He sounded great. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know what? Whatever was going on, like he's still, he's still Mm. hitting it and consistent. He, whatever his regimen is of taking care of his health. I know that honestly, a lot of like metal singers, especially once they go on the road, they will hire really great voice instructors who will come in and make them do all the things they would never want their fans to say, like (laughs) singing through straws, doing vocal warm-ups like you know it's it is an instrument in the same mm-hmm. way as you go like it's not the sound of like someone who goes i'm gonna hold this guitar and i'm gonna make it make noise because fuck you mm. they're going i'm gonna play the absolute dick out of this guitar mm. like i am going to like shred and granted it might not be what you want to hear but it is virtuosic and that mm. i mean that's mm. the thing like like metal metal is one of the epic art forms in my opinion there there are lazy art forms and they're epic art forms and they're for two different things mm. and mm-hmm. and the epic art forms require a skill that that is what you look at Mm. but looking at these these kinds of bands that you go you know like them or hate them which is thrown around as a phrase much too often you have to respect them because what 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 they're doing is is insane i mean Mm. watching watching lars alone as a drummer play the fact that he's not been institutionalized at this point is (laughs) is remarkable to me I, I don't I don't know how you have that full energy because if I if I had to do what he does physically every night, I would be conserving every second. But he's sitting there like standing up, like leaning over yeah. the, the kit, just like looking, being like, Yeah, come on, let's go, let's go. Yeah. Like you can just see him going into it. And but and he's also he's the metronome, he's got the click. You see him every, so many Metallica songs start with that like that wet like hi-hat of just yeah. If you give me fire, give me that one. And you're just like He's it. He's this lifeblood. And it's it's just it was just amazing to me to 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 return to this thing and go, I hope they make bands like this still. Yeah. Cause even if it's different music and different styles, I don't know if they do. Mm. And I keep trying to find them. Um, and you know, all sorts of different music, but like a group of people that come together with a general idea that they know what they're doing. They play instruments, they write the music together. Like looking at the the writing credits for for this. Yeah. But the track listing almost fully down Ulrich and Hetfield. Hetfield, yeah. 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 Almost exclusively. And I go, that's that's huge. Yeah. That's another committee. It's just heavy metal Lennon McCartney, honestly. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, they didn't let Lars sing any songs. So Sorry, Ringo. (laughs) Dumb story, but when I was a child, I was about seven years old. My brother and my sister were apparently going to the Metallica concert, maybe 92, I think. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go with them, but they wouldn't let me go unless I put on a wig. So I had long hair (laughs) and got my ear pierced. Mm. Okay. Oh, and I had to wear lipstick as well for some reason. Oh, I think they were just fucking with you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I never got to go. I went through all that for nothing, got my fucking ear pierced for nothing, and I never got to go to the Metallica concert, these bastards. Um, I used to show, I've got my ear pierced three times, just my left one, and I used to put two sleepers in each hole because that's what Lars had. I saw a photo of Lars and he had like more than, he had like two or three in each hole. So, yeah, so I, I did that just because of that. Yeah, when I was like 19 or 20. You you have to uh, imagine like a a young middle school, but at the time I was going by my middle name, Michael. 
and uh, a, a young Michael Haney growing up in Macon, Georgia, listening wow. to Metallica in my room back to back with, you know, Stravinsky's Firebird, mm. and then trying to figure out what I was going to wear to school the next day, <laughs> where, you know, every everyone's wearing khakis and polos, and I go, well, I've got a shirt with spider webs on it. <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got this, I've got this black see-through shirt that now I would like wear walking down Ninth Avenue and get like whistled at. I'd be like, mm. what? But you know, it, it's, it's just, it's weird. It's weird looking at like how my fashion, like the things that I liked were so influenced by Metallica when I was young. Mm. Like I went, I went, I recently stayed with my parents during this pandemic and one of my moms was my uh, theater teacher my other mom was my band director and so like bouncing off like music with them and theater with them and I went back into they've since moved homes they had a bag called Michael's crazy shirts and I was like oh this was this was when I listened to Metallica and they told me I had to wear a collared shirt that was the only rule you have to tuck it in and it has to have a collar oh, and God. I went I will see your bullshit and raise you this nightmare I wore I I oh man it was you couldn't have words on them but you know skulls yep. and things yep. like hot topic was a place where I felt like maybe this is it for me I wanted to get my eyebrow done at one point in time and like and and you know these years later I've, I've gotten some tattoos and I've, I've started working on a sleeve and the funniest thing is then I go and I play Olaf in Frozen and people go like wait what and I go yeah it's weird <laughs> and imagine imagine rolling out of bed and wanting to listen to Metallica and wanting to do these things and you know, you said offspring, and I got so excited. I was like, "Oh man, offspring!" One fine day is seriously yeah. the the he makes a speech in the middle of that song that is still to this day one of my drink and fight and go into the game in our way that the world is uh, in our world is a way to stay sane. I go like, "Yeah, that's how I feel about going to work every day at the musical." Yeah, but, you know, then yeah. people are are talking to me at this at the stage door, and they're like, you know what cast albums did you listen to growing up? And I was like, s and <laughs> And now I know what it means. Yep, no, you worded as I was into s and as a child. Yeah. That's how you gotta word it. Just, just for the look on their face. And then you explain uh, to them what you yeah. mean. Oh, dear me. No, I, I think, yeah, we've probably um, reached the, the, uh, really? the end on Metallica. I could, I could talk Metallica all day. We we also had the same fashion sense as kids, just because of Metallica. I would not leave yeah. the house without a black t shirt on, and and you it, don't leave the yeah. house without a fucking black t shirt on today. What are you talking about, <laughs> Gareth? I just took my laundry out. This is one of the only shirts I own that's not black. I've replaced my entire seriously. I I've replaced my entire wardrobe, gotten rid of every single piece of clothing that's not a black t shirt. <laughs> that's awesome. This is like. I'm in, I'm in my Johnny Cash phase. Mm. Coming this summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. 
For the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the Theatre's Trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. At the start of the episode, I was to say thank you for coming on the show. I had seen um, Alex Brightman's tweet claiming that any podcast would be privileged to have you on. Oh, yeah. So I thought, let's test that theory, shall we, and see if he's is right. So, like, truly, like, and and, I, and I'll say this very honestly, and you can keep it or cut it. That's up to you. Um, I listened yeah. to several episodes of this from you guys. Yeah. Okay. Thoroughly enjoy it, you guys. I mean, hey, again, yeah. like for for me, what you guys are doing is an important thing that as as someone who a, a, imagining myself as a a gareth who in ended up doing professional musical theater for a living and it's so funny because i realized that from the inside i see i i can get past the things that i don't like about musical theater yeah. and then inform those things and then also take that back into my own life and go like oh i i do have a different understanding of this now and then when i take my friends to concerts and I'm not I'm not like a modern metalhead. That's not necessarily where I've gone with my music tastes. But like it's been it's been an interesting thing of that that otherism about music. I remember when I was getting out of college and all all of my musical theater friends were talking about there's this new show that they're working on with this band. And I said, interesting. And they went, but it's not Broadway. They should not do a, a Broadway musical with this Green Day band. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and I literally American went, idiot. guys, hair, you're looking at it from now? And hair seems like, oh, it's a musical. It's so musical. And you go, at the time, mm. that upset the apple cart insanely. Mm. And now everyone's looking at like, oh, yeah, every every everybody's writing a show. I worked on the SpongeBob musical very briefly. And I got to sing a song written by T.I., Aerosmith wrote a song for that show. Wow. Sarah Bareilles mm -hmm. wrote a song for that show. All these, like the plain white tees, John Legend, all these people wrote songs for that show, but they were original songs with ideas. And so what I loved about your, your podcast and why I will now completely com keep listening to these episodes oh, with the amazing you. guests you have coming up is because yes. like there there is this thing that I think it's a lot of times people listen to an echo chamber and there are so many podcasts that are just echo chambers yeah. of like I have a feeling and my friend has a very similar feeling and we'll talk about the nuances about the different feelings that we have <laughs> and and this is both of you like I, I almost can't believe you continue to talk to each other in the most exciting way because like <laughs> the, the, like you seemingly have like nothing in common with your taste in music but then every now and then I like the come up from away episode and yeah. all of a sudden it's like that's really good so yes, i i i have so much respect for the the premise alone 
and then the execution is, is great. You, you both make me laugh. Um, oh. I, I think I think American actors are always jealous to listen to accents from your part of the world because <laughs> we're never asked to do them because all of your actors do our accents better than we do. <laughs> yes. So we, we're never going to be asked to like, oh, like, how's how's your Australian? How's your New Zealand? But like, I'm talking about Perth, not Melbourne. Do you have a Sydney accent? Like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think The Simpsons ruined Americans doing Australian accents um, yeah. inadvertently. Though weirdly enough, because we're both from places colonized by criminals, mm. um, Georgia, like the same kinds of people that were sent away that went to Georgia back in the colony days were also sent to Australia. So what's weird is there are parts of our accents, if you want to get into weird things you learn in theater school, mm. the like when you use the word G-E-T, you probably say Get, that is yeah. the same vowel sound in in a southern accent. There are certain similarities mm. that happen just because of the phonetics and things like that. Yeah. But it's fascinating, and I, I have I have to say one hundred percent, it's such a good accent, and I practice it alone all the time. <laughs> And yeah. I've, I've never oh, been paid money to do it. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of like German. I had done German by myself, like for auditions or like making a German character. That's funny. So you, you have it in your bag of tricks. So mm -hmm. I remember when I auditioned for Augustus Gloop that there was a moment of going, they're, they're going to have someone come help me with this, right? <laughs> like they're going to send a professional who, yeah. who goes, yeah, no, 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 no. Ba baby Hitler voice. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> By all means, just general German. Um, but we did have a dialect coach work on it. But so I'm, I'm hoping one day someone will pay me money to play a character so I can actually like learn the ins and outs of, of the accent because it's truly fascinating. It is, it's a fascinating accent. And I, I, maybe that's what my podcast will be about, about like, I'm going to do accents for people and mm. they'll tell me why it's terrible. Oh, nice. I just literally wrote down baby Hitler because that is the funniest thing I've heard. <laughs> and I'm working that into, I don't know, might have to cut it out, but I'm thinking, how can I work that into my next um, album review? I, was, I don't yeah. know, but I'm keeping that one. I'm, so <laughs> I'm glad I could help. <laughs> Baby Truly, that Hitler. was when when I was when I was designing the character of Augustus and playing it. There was the conversation of like, what is he? And I go, I want him to be absolutely lovable. Mm. But you know, for for all the other kids, and I know we we have a whole chapter on talking about the show. But um, you know, for all the kids, you you want to hate them. You want to actually hate these kids because mm. they're they're monsters. Yeah. They're you know they're kind of the seven deadly sins boiled down into four ish. And like and I was like, but but Augustus for for many ways especially like the, the culture of now of like, you know, you don't want to fat shame someone. Someone is, is you know, he's, he just loves food at the end of the day. He just, he's a, <laughs> his kid loves food. So I was like, no, 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 He has to be a monster. Mm. So I'm going to go for baby Hitler. That's going to be the, <laughs> the goal of like fat baby Hitler sitting there in Bavaria. He doesn't know why he hates people yet. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know he's going to turn out to be an absolute shithead. But yeah, Augustus Gloop, baby Hitler. That puts what I had seen. I've got to rewrite um, my whole thing. Online. I've got, yeah, I've got pages up. I need to rewrite now based on that. For your review for Charlie. Yeah. I don't know if you ran across this in any of your research and the idea of anyone Googling my name just still makes me laugh. <laughs> because um, I thought the only person who ever did that was my mother. But uh, I have a friend group that's been around for almost a decade now, and we're called The Morons. That, that was the working title for this show, actually. Oh, there you go. Mm, um, there you go. But yeah, it's it's Sorry. it's myself, Alex Brightman, Drew Gasparini, and then another actor named Andrew Kober, who has been in, God, five or six different Broadway shows. He's one of my favorite like Broadway voices 
He's really, really, really talented guy. You know, we, we have a, a text chain. We did a small variety show together just because we loved each other so much and we didn't get to work together that often as, as actors. But it's been a thrilling career for 10 years of friendship together, plus with these guys to go through all these different journeys. But they, I, I talked to them all today and they were like, you know, asking me what I was up to. And I was like, I'm going on this podcast. And I started telling them about it. And all three of them were like, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a great, <laughs> a good, great thing. You got to tell us how it goes. Open invitation for, for all three of them. We'll yeah. get you guys involved in this stupid, ridiculous game um, that oh, we have. Um, it's great. It's great. It's, it's all well and good thinking it's awesome. But like and subscribe, people. You need to subscribe. Oh, you yeah. got it. <laughs> can I tell you that that's that's my biggest thing that like I, I grew up as a as a career person at a very interesting time in social media. I remember when I started going to college and I went to school in, in New York, I was just starting to think about becoming an actor. My, my roommate reached out to me about this new website that had just started called The Facebook. And he said, <laughs> he said, there's this thing and it's only because literally if you watch Social Network, yep. they started with just the Ivies and then NYU got it in that next, in that next fall hmm. because they like to call themselves a baby Ivy because both basically they're as pretentious and as rich and so you know we all of a sudden had facebook i didn't know that years later that you know i i was fortunate that i lost a bet and started a twitter a friend of mine literally <laughs> made me a bet and said if i win you have to start a twitter and i don't even remember what it was and my first tweet was like tweet like a, like a, a fucking <laughs> asshole just doing this dumb thing and i'm still overwhelmed by it and when they I, for 140 characters i was like as a writer give me a constraint let me like haiku mm. this shit and now it's links and pictures. I'm like, no, no. pictures are Instagram. <laughs> you leave me alone. So trying to figure all of it out. And now people, I mean, literally when you audition, sometimes people will ask you how many followers you have. Oh, yeah. it's a weird, yep. it's a weird part of your career. And as someone who like, I'm a writer and a music writer as well. And it's so funny that every now and then people will be like, well, you know, why don't you share more of your stuff? And I was like, I can't handle it. Like my, my whole, as an actor, your whole career is going out there and getting, I mean, it's every, every single day of your life is the worst episodes of the great British bake off. You literally have people being like, you're too short. You're too fat. Mm. Look too old. Your eyes are too small. Your hair is too blonde. Like and, you yeah. sound this, you are this like, Hey, you're just not famous enough. Like, so all these things. So I go, I love writing music and I I've written music since I was a kid. And I've written a full 122 page musical and I've shared it with about 10 people because I go like, maybe one day I'll, I'll like get off my ass and actually like share it with the world. But there is this thing about like, I, I think you, you said it really well when there's a thing about people that do it professionally and there are people that do it as hobbyists. And it doesn't mean that the skill set is different as far as the product, but it is different as far as being a profession. Like community yeah. theater actors are brilliant. They can be better than Broadway actors. <laughs> but like you, you go, that is very easy to say that, you know, some of the best actors in the world never found their way into acting. Some of the best singers in the world are mm. people that you'll be sitting at like a, you know, a, a church or a, a synagogue or a, I don't know. I don't know where people sing. I don't know, like a, at a, a football match, someone sing and a chant i don't know you know someone and you all of a sudden go you're really good like i mm. i host karaoke as one of my like moonlighting jobs and it's always so funny that i'll sing and people will be like hey 
you should be a professional singer. <laughs> <laughs> and I just smile and I say thank you. But I'm 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 an asshole. I'm a critic, so you know. Well, you are. But I haven't read your critiques, so I could be like totally. I could be. You could be. You could be exactly what I'm about to talk about. So I apologize in advance. Kind of a <laughs> little bit, not much. Um, I've I've had okay, fights yeah. with people about this. Yeah. I think to be critical of things is important because my favorite things in the whole world have flaws and they have loads of them and it's because that's how it works everything is everything's a one take i am as part of my art you know i chose live performance which is truly the worst planned thing anyone could design you go how do you want to present this art oh one time in front of a bunch of strangers who don't know to shut up like ooh, let's do that every night where everything can go wrong and are we going to stop and go back if it screws up no we're going to just keep going yeah. um and so like, I think, I think the art of the review has been lost because reviewers have been so alienated by the clientele because there's, a, there's an otherism that's saying like you, those who can't do review or those who can't do teach of, of yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to push them away as opposed to saying to be a good reviewer, I think you both your knowledge inherently of the thing you're reviewing should be at a top tier. Hmm. In fact, you probably know more than the people that are bitching about the bad review. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I think that reviews have become, especially in America, they have become torture porn that mm. are, they want to say, they want to get the headline because I have been on the other side of some of those reviews. And I'm telling you, like never, never personally, I have fortunately never been important enough in a show to come for the jugular, but I have sat, I, I sat, I sat in a suit and tie with brand new sneakers that I couldn't afford because you don't get paid very much before the show actually opens. Um, and was sitting in this beautiful suit I just bought off the rack and was riding in a limousine van to the opening night of Holler If You Hear Me and was reading the New York Times review on my phone in the van. And I was afraid I was going to lose my job the next day. Oh, wow. Because because there was this thing about like, it was so easy to to come in and like take shots at this thing. But I I wanted to reach out and say, have you listened to hip hop before? Mm. Like, did you did you educate yourself beforehand? Because I don't think all art is for all people, but I think a good critic should be able to set out a good critique, which is saying, hey, here is what they intended to do. Here is how they executed that. Here is how I think those two things match up. And then here's my personal take for how I feel about it. And I think, I think if that seemed to be the, the thing for reviews, especially for theater, which relies so heavily on that when it needs it, mm. a good write-up can change an actor's career. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of times we become the punching bags when directors and choreographers and producers who keep getting away with the same shit all the time, we become the faces behind it. So mm. I, anytime I have the opportunity to talk to someone who's reviewing, I always say, keep doing what you're doing just know just it's it's such a huge responsibility and it takes a lot of bravery to have opinions and to say them out loud and so uh i just i hope i hope that you take the the care and responsibility because you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it yeah. i'm not gonna go review uh, olives i hate olives i'm not gonna go do a review on them that's a bad idea because mostly i'd be like yeah this tastes like olives this sucks <laughs> That is so true. That well, is true. On, on that, we'll um, on get that. to something which got glowing reviews on Broadway. <laughs> it did? Which uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which 
as we established, wasn't your your Broadway debut. It wasn't even your sort of lead or support debut on Broadway either, because you had, had played Bach in Wicked. Uh, F was Augustus Glue, mm, which sure uh, was that week. That. <laughs> who chose this I'm one? Never get just, that week. just before I dive into it, who chose this one? Um, I did. Okay, correct. Um, <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah. I, uh, overall, I was like, I'm on the cast recording for Carry the when we did the re- re- revival. I'm yep. Dogfight, the original show, Pasek and Paul. I, I, I did a bunch of like non Broadway musical albums, Jasper and Deadland, all sorts of stuff. I know, I saw them on Spotify yep. and, I, and I thought, this is Charlie. where you went. Okay. And this is where you went. You just went for the cheap shot, basically. How old, before I jump oh, in, actually, how hang old, on a second. How old were you, F, when you played Augustus? Glute. definitely oh, so over like, 30 definitely a, a wow okay yeah really you I, don't look a day over 22 yeah mm, i am uh, young people i turned 35 during lockdown wow Did okay. you? well then yeah. you're um there's that all these wikias all these fandom wikipedia mm. non-wikipedia things you need to change or you don't need to change it someone <laughs> needs to change that because it says you were born in 1990 oh no my, my favorite thing i ever got was i got i got a People sometimes don't think we get the the hateful things that people put on the internet, like mean tweets and shit. And yep. one of my favorite ones was someone posted and added me because they chose to do that mm-hmm. um, and said, like, said, uh, I just saw the casting for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What are you? What are, what are you, like, 26? And I went, no, I'm, I'm more than 30 and I'm playing a 12-year-old. I think we all know it's a fucking play, you absolute <laughs> moron. Yeah. But just he thought he was burning me. Like, what are you, 26? Yeah. Oh, and I was like, God. no, I'm 32, you ass. Let's see. He did that from his mum's basement. We all know exactly. that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we did. But yeah, no, look, I I, anyway. I like it when adults play children myself. Um, I think it lets you, as someone who hates children, like, <laughs> I hate yeah, so children. You don't have to work with them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's great. But I think I think it lets it lets the audience really hate us. Like, Veruca can be a real... Yep bitch and yep. and it because it's it's harder when you're watching a live performance and you go that kid's doing ballet and singing and you go oh my god what a talented child she's a mean little girl mm. instead you look at me and you go look at that fat fuck eating a sausage <laughs> fuck that guy you know what i mean it's easier to hate us and then when you have an actual 10 11 12 year old the three amazing actors that we had playing charlie you fell in love with these guys Mm, you yeah. fell in love with their story they seemed yep. they represented innocence they represented yep. a culture that didn't have TikTok, honestly, mm, no. um, they represented he, this, yeah, like, he needs to be unplugged child. poor people. Yeah, that just yeah. sometimes are the the most genuine human beings because they don't take anything for granted. So, yeah, I liked that juxtaposition. I thought mm. Jack O'Brien, who directed it, brought that in yeah. to the American version, which was not present in the in the London version. They no. were all played by actual children. Yeah, okay, because that that's where I was I was trying to get this in my head, and I'm looking at. And I'm going, am I listening to the right one? It's a 2017 Broadway cast recording that you're on. I'm looking at your character. I'm Googling your name and I'm looking at photos of you. And I'm like, how the, was, have I missed something? Is there a time warp is, or is this, this guy's got really great makeup on because he's, he's looks like an adult now. So, yeah. you know, with a whole beard, beard. and he's a, he's an actual full size person. And they yeah. grow up so quickly. I'm so proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Four years ago, my God, he shot up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that fifty-five inch fat suit really changes all your proportions. 
How hot was that? I'll tell you, it was so brilliantly designed because we designed it together. I was the first person, like they designed it for me. I, mm. I get no credit on the design of it, but imagine like, so, you know, like a hoop skirt from like the old South. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, imagine it was that, but attached with like Jersey almost like, and so it moved around around me. Mm. And so I, I wore basically like a, a girdle inside and attached to the girdle were all these little struts that went out to the hoops yeah so as i moved my body it moved with me mm. and so i could i was so scared it was going to be like restrictive but mm -hmm. i could i could do everything in that outfit um and they even gave me little bird seed titties it was very sweet of them <laughs> yeah so the suit wasn't hot but then yeah. they went oh what if we put you in a full length actual like flannel shirt with mm. a sweater over it yeah and then yeah. a wig and i went great i'm thrilled please yeah, yeah. please make it hotter <laughs> at least it's hot and in front of people yeah. yes please yeah but also at least you're not in the show very much that was one of my high points i clocked in, in at about 17 minutes Seven cent, wow, that's 17 minutes. And I didn't enter the show until about half hour in. Yeah. Though I will say for Olaf, I have a new record, which is 55 minutes into the play as my first entrance as Olaf, wow. which is great. Yeah, we'll get to, <laughs> I, I do want to hear what Gareth thought of, yep. of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's heard of or seen Willy Wonka at least once. He was about four when it came out. Any, mm -hmm. uh, no, I was born when it, I was born when the movie came out. I, I was 71, not 75. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, right, sorry. Yeah. You're older. Than but that. no, thank you for 75. I'll take that. No, I said you were four. Oh, four. No, no. Yeah, I was, I was born. It was. Out I thought it came out in '75. I know when you were born. The Dark Ages. Yeah. So the best, the the good thing about this is because when you said we we're doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I was like, okay, I don't need to go through that awkward, weird shit that I do almost every week and going, what the fuck are they talking about? What is the point of this? musical why are they singing that now i have to research and i hate putting effort into things so it was actually really good except like all the songs are different so so it was completely different i, I knew the story look it's it gets i did write down every star that i gave it and the reasons they gave it and the first one's because it's rolled dial and you know it's just timeless it is it's a it is a timeless story and i think it can be done again and again and again and um, obviously it has been I would go, okay, this is not, this. I am not the demographic for this musical. Oh, what? No, no, seriously. I don't think I am. It's it's clearly aimed at children. It's based on a children's story. It's, you know, all those sort of things. But it's it's dark as shit. Um, there's some real darkness right through here. One of the, um, I mean, I gave it, Candyman just gets stuck in my head and it doesn't matter what I listen to. That fucking song is just stuck in my head the whole time. But one song that I absolutely loved and it came out of nowhere because I was listening to this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to that. I was just like, okay, I, yep, this is, this is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What could possibly go wrong? That song, and I don't know whether, was that written for the original or was that written for the American version? Because they're, they're, um, talk, they're talking about, you know, kids and social media and guns and and all this and it was that was one of the hardest songs for them to and I, and I want you to keep going i'll make this short that was mm. one of the hardest songs for them to figure out because mike tv is something is he's the only sin of the kids that didn't age in the same way because the original mike tv being you know the the tv dinner watching westerns bang 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 
in a in, in a show that is geared towards younger audiences mm. um you can't have him playing call of duty and talking about shooting people in the head for an entire song mm. that's not gonna work mm. you you we we very briefly had kind of a donald trump thing going with him that he's like you know the worst kind of a person yep. but as a child um you know baby hitler and trump as two yep. of the kids it made sense but there, there was I, I think it was one of the hardest things for him because the second you make a technologically based reference you immediately age something yes no one ever goes a, a character read a book and you go okay what whoa what year is this but you say i mean even even when you say Oh, well, according to a news uh, press release on Twitter, you go, yeah. oh, I know when that is. Yeah. Like yeah. You, it immediately dates it. So I think with what could possibly go wrong, it was interesting. They were they were trying to like circle that square of how do we do this like 50s housewife, like Jackie Hoffman, who played the part, absolutely brilliant comedian. And yeah, she's so funny. She's Sorry. a fascinating human being to share the stage with. And and that's that's the best, like truly the, the oh, thing wow. that I will say about this show, that cast of, of actors and comedians was an assault of talent. I was mm -hmm. very fortunate to get to make funny with that group of people every day and basically create that show um, mm -hmm. with with all of them. But that, that song in particular was one that they tried, they, tr they kept trying to figure out. I, I've heard when, I, for a second when you said it, I didn't remember what you're talking about. And it was because that song has changed so many times mm -hmm. during the time that I worked on it okay. um, because there was like a, a hip hop number at one point in time. Mm -hmm. And then this very like Judy Garland, like my little boy kind of thing. It was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a fascinating journey with that song. Mm. Yeah. And it's, wow. it was actually jarring for me listening to it because I'm, I was kind of back in, and as much as I was listening to the musical, what I was seeing in my head was Willy Wonka from the, you know, from, the, because that's the visual that has been around for the, you know, the past 50 years. So when I'm listening to that song, it really, it kind of jarred me. I go, okay, what, what the hell's going on here? Because this is, you know, year oldie times and it's all a very sort of innocent time, I guess, um, in the story. So that kind, yeah, that absolutely blew me away. I thought that was a little bit, and it, you're right, it lurched everything forward to 2020 for me. Um, although, you know, 20s, but yeah, the 21st century, and there it is, and and this is happening right now. And I thought, I thought that was pretty, that was brave, um, a really brave thing. And um, yeah, so that, and probably from that song on, I really started listening again, actually listening to the show again yeah. and there's you know there's the standards pure imagination which is just uh if you're going to get a song stuck in your head and everyone knows that song and it's and yeah. it's so sweet between you know you've got grandpa and um and and charlie and it's just such a it's just so so nice and i think what the, the amazing thing about this and this is the this is the story there's the nice and innocence and you've got this this poor kid from wherever who's just you know, lucked upon a ticket and surrounded by, let's be honest, a cast of assholes, of character yeah. assholes. They are the worst and they're, they're just the worst people. And you look at them and, and it's not their fault. They're kids. They don't know. They've just been bought up. But That's their parents' fault. Their parents it's have... It's their parents' fault, but they still suck. No, oh, yeah, they much. suck. Yeah. And, they and, really... And like, I'm giving them. you so much latitude because of your upbringing and the rest of it, you're just going to own it, you 12-year-old shitbag from fucking yeah. Dusseldorf or wherever the hell you are from. You, so, <laughs> it's... I could see... It's and a cautionary tale. And Willy Wonka's got a big... He's got a, 
like he's got a heart of gold, but there's some there's some real shit darkness happening there as well. So no, I think his heart's broken. He's he got screwed over, remember? And he retreated from public life. And and they say it at the start of the show that it killed his brand. So yeah, I, th- I think yeah. that's what it is. Is he's paranoid and he's broken. Yeah. And that's where we find him at the start of the show. And um, uh, it, okay, it, Christian Ball obviously playing or Ball. Have you said an American accent? I, it's, it's such a hard name to pronounce when you got Aussie <laughs> accent. Anyways, uh, he's playing the Candyman at the start of that show. Now, is that meant to be Wonka? Yes. So he's in disguise. <sighs> I th- Here's the thing: in the original set up, Charlie, of the of the music when we were doing some of the developmental stuff for it, they were going to try to disguise the actor playing Wonka, and it has always yeah. been Christian Borle in the American yeah. version. They were going to try to disguise him. And then you wouldn't see him as himself until just before intermission, last 15 minutes of act one. Yeah. You can't take the Tony winning no. actor and amazing showman that is Christian Borle and sideline him for the entire show. And so they tried to figure out a way to do it. And so they ended up sticking on this idea that he comes out at the beginning and does this very fourth wally, like, Hey, you all know the plot. So yeah, that's me. We're going to take the surprise and the worry away about it. I'm going to go and find a guy. So, you know, he's basically, he becomes this like sweet shop owner on the corner and that Charlie goes by every now and then is like, Hey, can I sweep up for some stuff? And then you're like, did he give him the ticket? Did he rig the whole thing? Yeah. Did he know for all along? Who knows? Um, but that, that was kind of the general idea. (laughs) Yeah, so it was okay because yeah. I I, well, I didn't know if that was meant to be the intention that we are um either we're meant to know it or about it or we we are meant to know that it is Wonka in disguise or even if we're not meant to know you're right it's it's him you're not gonna not know they could get away with it in Australia because we actually had um Paul oh Slade. Paul oh I got to do the show with Paul Paul yes, is the that's... tallest lankiest. Most terrifying yeah. Willy Wonka I've ever seen in my life, and he also plays it like an introverted shut-in. It, it, when we when broken. we did it, I only got yeah. to do the show with him like a couple of times because Christian mm-hmm. was a workhorse and never really missed. Um, yeah. But uh, Paul Paul's Paul's broken, <laughs> fragile portrayal of Wonka when I got to do it with him was brilliant. Paul Slade Smith yeah. is un is, he's an that's, unbelievable that's actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he he was our Wonka here in Australia. So I remember hearing that. I didn't see it. It was running at the same time as Come From Away. So you can kind of guess yep. where my money went. Yeah. Look, as I said, and I didn't mean any, there's no disrespect. I don't think this show is aimed at, at me, clearly not, but it's aimed at kids. And it's nice. There was the escapism was nice. Um, I would absolutely 100% take one or both of my kids to see this okay. show. And I think they would absolutely love it. Probably the younger one. Not the older one because she's too cool for literally everything now. So you know, it's a, it's a great show, and it as I said, it really surprised me because I was expecting Willy Wonka, mm. just top to bottom. I'm just going to hear Willy Wonka and I go, yeah, this is this is so much fun, and this is great, and it's a great story, and we all know how it ends. Augustus Gloop does die, doesn't he? No. I've never understood. I've never understood that from even from the movie. It's like, did they did they kill that little shit? No, because he went out anything. the tube. In the in the book, and then honestly, there was maybe five previews that we did it. There's a mm. transformation scene where at the end of the show you see Augustus is really really tall because they've they've they, he was sucked in the pipe, and then um, Violet is all flabby because they had to juice her, 
and then mm. Baruka is stitched back together. And no, no, Mike is really, really tall because they had to stretch him back out from being so tiny. So we, at one point in time, had legitimately, we had these costumes that cost more than my apartment that were transformation costumes. They had built me a new tube costume where it took all of my fat of the costume and put it into, a, I looked like a, like a Swiss roll <laughs> with just a little head on top. And then I had my arms bound around my body and with little fake hands poking out of the bottom. And we just like walked across the stage. And, but then we had to quick change to get back into our real costumes. Yeah. And they, they watched one night and they went, no, that's never going to go nope. in the show ever again. It's horrible. Um, so, so when, <laughs> Whose but, idea was that? But when you cut the reveal that they all were altered and left, kind of does seem like they die. So yeah, yeah. I think they die. In the movie, it says to all the parents what happens, that they'll be put back together or they'll be squeezed out or whatever. Oh, yeah, I know. But I just assumed he was just, he was, yeah, we're going to fix that. Off you go. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. Willy Wonka's murdering. Yeah, he's, he's a <laughs> he's murdering children. Look, this is getting four stars from me just because of, of everything. Oh, wow. How hard was it singing in a German accent? I'm, I'm assuming you were quite restrained in how you could deliver it because you, you had to do the, you had to do the, the German accent. What's funny is like from as a child, I never like I've never really had like singing lessons. I had like some vocal teachers in college that mm. were talking about vocal production and how to do like health and stuff like that. But I would just listen. I was I was a parrot. I would listen. So when I was listening to Metallica, I was trying to sing like James Hetfield. When I was yep. listening to Bare Naked Ladies, I started saying things like "sorry" because I listened to a lot of Bare Naked Ladies for a while. <laughs> I remember when I auditioned for the Tupac show, uh, there's a song in the show that the character that I was covering played um, on guitar and the where my voice went down and sat, I was trying to sound like the performer on the track that I had grown up with. So for me, mimicry and like character voices has always been a thing. Yeah. So what I loved about it, and maybe it's, you know, like, you, you know, pull up a therapist chair and talk about like how may maybe you're just afraid to be yourself. But <laughs> the, the idea for me of a character is the most exciting. That's the most exciting. When you walk into it, there are so many rules. It's like jazz that once you know all the rules, you can break them all. Yeah. But yeah. you have the constraint of rules. So learning the accent and then applying it to the show, because there were times they actually were like, hey, the actual German pronunciation for this is hard to understand or the yeah. two writers who wrote the music and lyrics aren't german so they would make rhymes that wouldn't work in german accent like yeah. you know yeah. things yeah. that seem like a base level thing if, if you really mm. like get into it but when you're writing oh let's write a funny german song let's say schnitzel a lot let's do cuckoo clock noises <laughs> like there, there are a lot of things like to, to be honest just the kind of the vagary of that when when you're doing parody um, and you're parodying entire cultures. And so like, I'm, I had a couple of people, like I had a couple of truly like Bavarian people came up to me in mm. the stage door and uh, people said cruel things at stage door. My favorite one was uh, this woman looked at me once and was like, oh, you're not as fat as I thought you were. And I was like, cool. Thank you so much for at the as in that sentence, yeah. you monster. Um, but uh, I, I walked up to someone and they came up and they were like, oh, are you German? And I went, not one bit. I just did 23andMe and it just said white in all caps. I'm a mutt. I'm like a Scotch-Irish English mutt. And they were like, well, your German accent was really, really good. And I was like, that means so much to me because most people just aren't paying attention to it because it was important mm. to me. So 
singing mm-hmm. was was hard in like mm-hmm. learning to do it because I wanted to be much more authentic than than like actually read because like every now mm-hmm. and then when a bit of talking as you be like listening to someone and you're talking and you're like about am I not speaking with the accents that you might understand and people be like I can't understand what you're saying and I go I was trying to be like really authentic with it so then every now and then you have to do things that people are looking for and yes. like be like oh this is so German like you know <laughs> it's all these things and so you know like just then I I hit almost like Swedish notes because you're you're giving people an idea of culturalism of like how we mm, think mm. that dingoes ate all of your babies <laughs> and and that's a really fucking sad story sorry, for me sorry. what most people won't know is the the way that it came to pass in the audition was they were trying out adults they hadn't decided they were going to do it and i got mm-hmm. a call from my agent to say hey they want you audition for augustus gloop i told them to go fuck themselves because you can't ever call an actor and tell him he's going to audition for one of the most famous fat people in the world um yeah. and uh i jokingly said no please yes 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 okay as an actor always does i was like yes let me audition for it it sounds like a great <laughs> character work and there are plenty of times where you'll work on something that will eventually you'll be replaced by a child because we you know kids age out all the time so like andrew lipa yep. who you guys are going to talk to later you can bleep the name if I'm, if they're not supposed to know but like um, no he's already been on the show by now but we're oh, recording fantastic a what a guy uh, anyway. andrew and yes. i we <laughs> we we did a reading and i was playing like a like a 12 year old kid and they hired me as an actor to come in and play this child to eventually be replaced i knew i was going to re- be replaced from day one yeah. but it's so that they could work with an adult actor to help develop the acting beats to help develop the stuff yeah. so i i'm used to doing that kind of stuff with mm. this when i went in when you're given music oh. um you can play it on the piano it doesn't always tell you where it's supposed to sit in your voice but for example if i'm gonna audition for you know if i'm gonna audition for come from away for for chad kimball's part in the show if i was gonna audition for that i go oh i have a similar range to chad like we're both guys who are tenors like i i get it i know where it's gonna sit in my voice when you get handed sheet music that is still written for an actual 12 year old in the london cast and they didn't transpose it or move it at all Mm-hmm. going to sit in yep. one of two places and almost everybody that auditioned and I bet there are people that were just better than me that auditioned but they chose mm-hmm. oh I'll sing it down the octave like my mother and my father I enjoy a healthy meal oh and they're like oh I'm Augustus Gloop here we go just do the show here we go all right baby yeah I'm that's that's Zoolander that's Hans <laughs> yeah, from Zoolander exactly and so <laughs> well I'm the prick who goes I'm a, I'm yeah. a piece of shit I can sing that up the octave and so I walk in and I was like <laughs> like my mother and my father i enjoy and so what i'm doing is rock and roll tenor but i put too mm. much tin on it so it's that thing of that you're like baby i don't find a kiss from a rose but then make it baby what's i don't find a kiss from it's the same vocal placement yep. of like yep. when i do hardcore rock and roll and i know seal is not hardcore rock and roll <laughs> it's so hardcore but i'm doing like you know rock of ages style singing yeah yeah when I'm doing that stuff, that's the same placement, that same R&B yep. placement of when you go really high. Like at the end, at the end of More of Him to Love that I recorded on actually a sec- a separate day because I was so sick the day we were recording that I begged and pleaded with our producer to let me re-record my vocal track on More of Him to Love because I was toast. And I was like, if I if I try this one more time, I won't be able to do the show tonight because yeah. all I did was scream the entire show. I'm like, especially when I'm getting sucked through the pipe and everything, I was trapped in a box under the stage, having to do my mics, literally yeah. sitting there waiting for the scene to be over so I could come out of the secret trap door, hmm. but literally having to scream like, mama, ah, 
And so like the whole time of doing that, it's like, it's all just rock and roll. Yeah. So for me, what was exciting was having the constraints of the accent. Let me go, okay, this is my jungle gym. What can I do with it? And it was so as, as a character actor, and I, I think that's like the, my favorite thing in the whole world. And it doesn't just mean that people, but as a character actor, like, like Gary Oldman, like he's maybe one of my favorite yeah. character actors of all time. Mm. You go, if you see me in 10 different things and you don't realize you've seen me, I'm doing my job. Yep. Like I yeah. want to, I want to yep. disappear into the material because I think the most important thing is having actors who are so dedicated that they lean into the material. And at the end of the day, if the material doesn't support the most dedicated actors, yeah. sure isn't the actor's yep. fault just on yep. that laugh um that the augustus <laughs> laugh that you did are you ever tempted to go into anybody's um backyard at night time and just laugh and try to draw <laughs> them is, out with that laughter because that would fucking terrify me i think i think the most the the most misused my augustus was was the other way around i did this thing during tech with kathy fitzgerald who played my mother I would sit back there and I had these big rosy cheeks and the bowl cut and wearing this thing. And we'd be finishing a, a, like a rehearsal and I'd be like, oh yes, Mr. Vonka, I would very much love to go there. <laughs> All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take five minutes. And I would turn to Kathy and I would go, I can't fucking believe this. I have studied at the Royal Shakespeare. I'm going to my trailer, God damn it. And I'm not coming back until I have a stiff whiskey. Like it was just, it became this thing of the idea of being Sir Patrick Stewart yep. stuck playing Augustus Gloop um, at the, at the like waning d days of his career. Remind me of uh, Alan Rickman and Galaxy Quest. That and like, this is the four cats too, yeah. before <laughs> Sir oh, Ian McKellen and oh, Judy Dench. Oh my cats. stars, that thing. I know I, I, <laughs> I loved it because it was terrible. Like every minute of it. Look, I haven't seen it. No, we'll get to it one day. I haven't, look, if you listen to this show, I haven't seen anything clearly, obviously. Well, in, in terms of um, this musical F, did you enjoy it? I have to be very careful as I answer this question. <laughs> It is an honor to get to work on any material. I mean that very seriously. To like to have have been on Broadway three different times. I may never be on Broadway again and still have an amazing career. Yeah. I know some of the best actors mm -hmm. I've ever worked with never made it to Broadway and may never make it to Broadway. People have made their Broadway debuts at 40, 50, 60 years old. Yeah. Broadway, I think, is a much more complex concept. I think it's it's not meant to alienate people and to be like, if it's on a stage in New York, in Midtown, at one of those theaters, then you're a Broadway actor. Otherwise, you're shite. Get out. I don't think that's it. I think mm. acting should be a more inclusive art, that it, that it should be open to Broadway being, hey, we're going to treat actors like artists and pay them as skilled professionals. <laughs> that's what I want for theater across the board. Yeah. Pay us Get like the lab. professionals. They're so, I mean, our union right now is literally on fire and and at no fault of any one person but it's because all of a sudden we as a country in in america in the united states of um the states that are united we're having so many discussions right now during this this pause that about mm. we went hey what if we talk about race right now and everyone went oh okay there's a lot to unpack institutional stuff we're like right now we're also like another explosion of the hate of asian american people and yeah. Asian people in general in this country, the the yeah. long history of like, and I didn't mean to make this suddenly a remarkably political podcast, but like that kind of conversation. As an acting community, we're also having conversations about the representation of the different concepts of gender that are happening yeah. throughout our country. The idea of like, uh, you know, there there are men's and women's ensemble rooms 
in in theaters. That's just how it's done. And you go, well, you know, what what about trans actors? What about actors mm. in in different stages of their life? What about an actor who chooses to transition? Like th- there are so many complex things that we're talking about. So all of that to be said, I am so honored to get to do. I get to. I'm a professional liar. I get to to play dress up, and people have paid me to sing and dance for a living. I've very rarely gotten to play anyone remotely my age, anyone remotely going through my kinds of situations. I mean, presently I'm playing a a fucking anthropomorphic snowman. So all that to be said, I think all the reasons why Gareth gave this four stars and the reason that we ran months and months, Holler If You Hear Me ran 32 performances. We ran for about nine, 10 months or something like that with Charlie and the Chocolate Mm. Factory. We got zero Tony nominations, zero. You ever come to work when you got zero Tony nominations? Yeah, every day, mate. Every single day of my <laughs> life, I've not had a fucking Tony nom yet. I am yeah. the Susan Lucci of the Tony Awards. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Um, but, you know, we came to work and every single person in that building was an absolute hero and star and every cover who went on for Wonka, any of the kids, any of the parents. I mean, we're talking about superstar quality people like uh, Alan Green played Mr. Beauregard. He's unbelievable. Ben Crawford, who played uh, Mr. Salt. He's amazing. Emma, who played Veruca. She had to do ballet and a Russian accent and get murdered every night. Like, I mean, there's, there's all these incredibly insane performers. And then our beautiful cast of ensemble members in the first act are doing this beautiful Josh Burgas choreography where they're doing kicks and it's the most capital B Broadway thing. And then the second act, they're all hunched over getting back problems doing puppet work (laughs) you take a legendary director like jack o'brien you take mark shaman and scott whitman who have written so many legendary broadway shows you have a whole team that was put together almost like in the boy band era of all of these things are going to go together and they're going to make this super group it's going to be damn yankees you know what i mean like Mm. it's going to (laughs) be you're talking about a super group like literally the Mm. looking around the room i was in awe I got to make funny with Christian Borel, who's one of truly like we've worked together several different times. Um, I have a scar on this hand. You, you won't be able to see it through the zoom, but I have a scar on this hand because he and I came up with this funny bit where I start ringing this bell and I'm just like, <laughs> and then he wanted <laughs> yeah, to pull out yeah. a giant hammer and smash my hand. Yeah, um, oh, nice. It had a magnet on it. And one night he swung it differently and I started uh, gushing blood in the middle of the show. But Christian had to do the rest of the show and he carried that entire show on his back. He's a massive monster performer. So I put my hand in my shirt and bled for the next 10 minutes while I was on stage and then left and was like, hey, if Christian asks if I'm okay, the answer is yes. If he doesn't, don't tell him that I'm anything. Yeah. And every boot on the stage was working their ass off every single mm. night. The process for me was challenging because I go, this show had every potential to be unbelievable. When I had been working on it in the summer before, I remember talking to my friends who were doing other shows that were circling Broadway. There's this weird moment that there are all these shows that are like, it's like you're at a really nice restaurant or you're trying to get a drink at a bar and you have all these people kind of sitting there and some people already have reservations. And then there are a couple of seats that might open up. And then suddenly someone goes, I see the other people looking for that seat and I'm going to go. Those are the shows waiting for the last minute to go. That theater opens up. That one's the right size for our show. Like I've been working with Huey Lewis on this musical for a while and it's kind of just looking for the right time and the right theater and the right situation and the the air is just right. This show didn't. This show announced, hey, we're going to Broadway, deal with Mm. it. And everyone I talked to that was in shows that were going to go into that same season were like, you guys are going to destroy us at the Tonys. 
You have all the money, you're Warner Brothers, these monoliths of talent. And for me, and this is not to individually shit on anyone, the hardest thing about it was, and maybe it's just my nature of I'm a perfectionist, I think that show had every reason to be one of the greatest pieces of musical theater for young audiences that was both exciting mm. and beautiful and fucking magical. Like I'm telling you, when you go into the, the when you went into Waitress, the Broadway musical, it smelled like pies. Cause you know what they were doing? They were selling motherfucking pies. And so I was joking <laughs> with our producer one day and I was like, hey, when they walk in, is it gonna look like chocolate? Is it gonna smell mm. like chocolate? Because imagine mm. walking into the theater and walking to the Lund Fontaine and like outside the theater, there were all this, all our ad campaign was so cool and weird and mysterious. And there was a minimalism to our show that in concept was fucking delicious. You have to watch the show and lean in with imagination. However, I <laughs> don't think all the pieces met equally. No. And so for me, and it kills me, and I like literally cried about this. When we, when we finally got into a place where we thought, you know, we, I think I know what this show is going to be, like during previews. I, I, I cried because I went, I think, there, I think this will entertain so many people. I think so many people will enjoy it. I still think it's a giant fucking Broadway show. And I go, I think we're leaving something on the table here. Like, I think we have this brilliant fucking chance to like, Again, when you can trick kids into learning something about how to treat other people and do it entertainingly, and and I thought we were gonna do it, and for me, and that's again in the in the critique of it, for me, I think it missed, and and it was it was hard, and it, it's also you know I never got to see the show, I was inside it, and I was dealing with you know it was my own personal life, like it's weird going to work every night and people making jokes, being like, "How you doing tonight, fatty?" And you're like, "Cool, that makes me feel very great about my life." There's all sorts mm. of stuff, you know, that I'm sure led into it. But I went back and I'd never listened to the record, and I went back and listened okay. to it like today. I put it off. I'd listen. I've, I've listened to SNM several times since we've been talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I listened to it today, and some of it. I remember the first time I heard Christian Borle sing "Pure Imagination," and we all sat there losing our minds because Christian mm. is so amazing, and he he brought you right to the edge of like. Oh my God, it was incredible. And in the British production, Pure Imagination was at the end of the show. They just left mm. it. And in our production, they added Candyman. They added yeah. um, I've Got a Golden Ticket. They added the Oompa Loompa theme. But not um, the boat ride. But not, not the, the boat fucking, ride. Oh, or Cheer Up Charlie. I still yeah. quote that anytime someone said it. I'm like, Cheer Up Charlie yeah. all the time. So yeah, I, I think so. I think for me, that was, that was the hardest part. That like, yeah. I wish looking back on it, that it had been everything that I dreamed it could be. Mm -hmm. I do still say that like that cast was so unbelievable and so, so insanely talented, but yeah, I just, it was hard. It, it, I mean, it would be like sitting in that symphony and listening and going, guys, I think this Metallica symphony thing could be really, really great, but I think we're missing something. Mm. And, and everyone goes, it's good enough. It'll be fine. It will sell tickets. And I go, yes, it will, but it could yeah. be better. And maybe that's yeah. that's been my, my like the hardest part about my career, that I'm always that person who like when I'm developing a new show, I go, okay, but like, let's keep pulling that thread. And they go, let's stay here for a minute. We'll figure this out. And that's why I'm not a producer. <laughs> I don't have the money to do that. But, but there are times <laughs> I just go like if someone goes why do you care so much i go why don't mm. you and so mm. that i That's think that and gareth yeah that was the hard part that was the hard part about that show for me because i wanted it 
I wanted it to be. I wanted I wanted it to be a legendary. Um, well, you you are a Broadway unicorn because you haven't yet done Law and Order. I listen. <laughs> there were the, there was an article came out that said that they were hiring everybody on Broadway, and uh, as someone on Broadway, no, they're not. They have not hired me yet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you would make a fantastic corpse. I got the I'll charisma take, for it. Listen, I'll take corpse. I'll absolutely yeah. take corpse. Yeah. Okay, so I I want to share my thoughts. Really? Shut up, Gareth. Because <laughs> I love um, Shaman and Whitman. Uh, Hairspray is fantastic what? and absolutely wonderful to see live. Um, oh. This what? was kind of insulting to my childhood. Jesus. It didn't need modernizing. This whole vidiots thing and and it, you know what I mean? The electro pop music it got in it. I think that got in the way of this being a hit. Because if those had been songs that had that flair that they were trying to get what they had from hairspray, right? You could tell mm-hmm. that in the music that they are still trying to go for that big orchestra sound, but it didn't work. I don't think it, it worked in this context. I've seen one Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and that was pretty terrible. So I don't know if the story itself works on stage. That's the thing. You have this whole first act of setting up Charlie the whole time. The audience just wants to get in that fucking factory. That is all we want. And then I I did notice that in in the pure imagination scene, if I had gone to see it, I would be expecting the whole stage to open up and to... You know what I mean? Like for the whole yeah. thing to be a spectacular thing. And what they got was a little section of it. And yeah. I think for a lot of audiences, that would have been frustrating. So I think there are a lot of times where I think they 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 missed the mark completely on this. They really did. And it's such a shame because I, I love their work. I really, really do. And I think even Catch Me If You Can is a lot better than what people gave it credit for. The, the music in that is, is pretty fantastic. But I, I'm sorry to invite yep. you on my sh- on, wow. on this show and be like, no, wow. this missed the that's mark. That's my fucking, that's my job. Uh, no, but we we tricked you into liking it. You just gave it four stars. Yeah, that's, that's the here, thing. Like, no. We've been... <laughs> We've been in on the joke the whole time. I have, yeah, great. I, because, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here, and I'm gonna defend my position. You can, um, or you like, you'd still be wrong. Because it's a, because it's a childhood thing. I looked at this through the eyes of one of my kids, and going, would you, would, you, would you like this? Yes, I know she would. She would love it. I also was because I haven't seen it, and I, I listened to it, and as I said, all my visuals were from the movie. I was really surprised to hear that it wasn't this huge amazing production i i was not expecting to hear minimalist yeah yeah you know you've got you've got hoops and you're in a fat suit and there's so much there's puppets and there's makeup and i was expecting that show to be that amplified and yeah. the one uh, you know an extravaganza you would think it would be offensively expensive yes. that's what i was expecting you, disney on broadway and that's what it should have been no i've seen disney i don't 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 take i've seen disney on broadway anyway but that grandeur, that's what you want because you are having kids come in there. You're you're trying to blow them away and you want them to come back for another show. Yeah. To disappoint them, to let people down, to give them the the entree, but not the main course. God damn you. That's it. One star. Fuck this shit. <laughs> Yeah, One star. No, you no, you get no. I'm got, cutting all that shit out. You're on you're on record as four this stars. This fucking dumpster fire. No, 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 no. Four <laughs> stars from you. You do not get to take it back. No, no, four stars. You only get to well, add I'm, on. So if you want no, to add I'm on. Giving, I'm giving it I'm giving it four stars because I haven't seen it. Everyone who saw it hated it. <laughs> well, no, I haven't seen it, but I was, as I say, look, I had the childhood connection of Willy Wonka and Chocolate, as we all do. 
We really need to wrap this shit up because yeah, because F's gonna get drunk for oh, a start. Yeah, I'm I'm actually sauced. I'm I'm fucking jealous because all I've got is an empty coffee cup. So there you have it. And it's and it's not quite midday here. So anyways, let me let me quickly round up then. Yes. Either way, look, it should have worked. All the ingredients were there. It should have worked. One hundred percent. Yes. All the yep. ingredients were there, and yeah. it just. But I think it is in those songs because if. And I, they are not lacking in talent at all. As I say, I, I love their music and, and what they've, they've contributed to the world of theatre. But here, though, style just didn't work. It really didn't yeah, work. See, I, that's it. See, and, and I like the new songs. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you just needed to go, here it is, don't fuck with it. Let's just, you know, let's just do it again. These are the and songs. You could do it without the movie songs in it. You could okay. if... What okay. you are giving us is is strong enough. I had to go back and check that Candyman wasn't in the movie. It was. Yes, it was. It was. It was in the original movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was a different person. It was. It was the sweet shop guy. Yeah. Ah, that's yeah. Okay. And we had the ladder yes. with the wheels. Yeah. I was always ever since I've always wanted to get on a ladder with wheels. And I haven't. I haven't had sugar for about three years, and you gave me a chocolate. Yeah, factory. I know. You and your brother keep telling me off. No, he does. I don't care. Anyway, what a shame. Let's wrap it up. What a shame. It really was a shame. But I, 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 I want to. I want to see a Huey Lewis musical because you've you've just dropped that on me. Oh so. man, I'm telling you, there there are parts of it that you would not realize how his lyrics, and also he let us change stuff, which was great. Um, mm. But like his lyrics are so conducive to a musical. And I think there are so many writers out there that people write musicals without thinking about it. Every every hip hop song, every country music song, mm. there's, there's all a little bit of theater and presentation in it. Yep. And yep. there's yep. just this word Broadway that scares everybody away. It's like opera. Mm. It's like metal. Like those three, those three words yeah. are country music. They're yeah. they're so alienating because people think they have an idea of what they are, and the answer is they're wrong. And that's, and that's what this podcast is for. Now, funnily enough, all my questions you've pretty much covered, really. But one, what's one director you are eager to work with? Just quickly, um, let's put it out to, there. To, to be honest, like there there are there are so many in the pantheon of of directors. So many I'd love to work with again under different circumstances. Of like like Joe Mantello, I think is one of the most brilliant directors I've ever encountered. Yeah. Um, we did dogfight together, uh, and then he was the director for Wicked. Um, yes. But I think my answer is going to be um, a, a shitty actor answer, which is uh, I can't wait to work with a director I have never heard of. Um, I can't wait mm. to it to be a young person who's never gotten a shot before. And that's not a shitty suddenly, But it, it sounds like a cop-out answer because, you know, yeah. I should name someone famous. Yeah, but honestly, as someone who doesn't really like musical theater, there's always this funny thing that people go like, oh, like I've auditioned for Tony winning directors and gotten jobs and then talked to my friend. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this thing with a, uh, I don't remember their name, something. And they went, this person? And I went, I think that's right. And they went, they won like five Tonys. And I went, mm. okay, are they good to work with? Because at the end of the day, that's what's important to me. So, uh, so I think I think my my answer is the directors I want to work with are. I hope they're people, especially younger people, people that have better different ideas than most. Honestly, most of the people that are out there right now. I think I think you know everyone needs to, no one needs to stop making art right now. That's not what anyone's asking. But I think we no. need to make room for some people and to be directed by more women. To be frank. Like mm. I'm a, I'm a son of two mm -hmm. moms. So the idea yeah. of taking direction from women comes naturally to me. So I, I look forward to those and, you know, people from different places and Ooh, an Aussie director, you know, talk to me in that accent. Tell me, tell me which way to go. On <laughs> in that accent. Come on. Yeah. That, that, I would love to be at that rehearsal where you say to your director, Ooh, talk to me in that <laughs> accent. <laughs> that'd, that'd Immediately. Well in that post me too well. Tell me to bugger off in that accent. Yeah. So you don't have any questions, Gareth? No, we've covered absolutely everything. And every time, like when you said 
you know, I'm working with the somebody and, you know, I don't know who they are. Every time Aaron says there's someone from musical theater coming on the show, I have to Google them because I have no no freaking idea. Yeah. And then I meet the most amazing people and you have been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for all of your time and all of your wisdom. Oh, yeah, you have. Oh, it's, been... It's, been, it's been a pleasure. And the singing lesson in the middle was was fantastic. <laughs> Um, if I could absorb this shit, this is important. You're just getting a you're getting a a free a free class. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, this is a weird time a weird time to be able to connect with people. And so, yeah. you know, if if you'd asked me as a kid who really desperately as a child wanted to go to Australia, it was it was I I told my grandma all the time I want to go to Australia and I will I will fly her out there to make me food. That's like what I told her as a kid. <laughs> Um, and uh, I still have never been. I've always wanted to, and I keep hoping yeah. work will take me there one day. But uh, I, I really appreciate again you guys having me. It, it feels so weird when anyone wants to talk to me about anything. Um, yeah. And uh, and I, I really, I, I genuinely mean it. I look forward to hearing this back and cringing only a couple of times when I say something that sounds douchey. Um, yeah. But uh, also worry, to, cut all that to listening to the to the other great conversations you guys have because thank you you know people could talk about the same things over and over again but going back and listening to Metallica after this long makes me just it just gives me a thirst to go like all right what about their new records I haven't listened to their new stuff in a while mm. do that like listen to that and tell my friends like hey listen to this podcast but listen to this record first yeah and then yeah. listen to us talk about it um so yes. I look forward to the other records that I will learn from uh, the show with you guys as soon as we started talking me and F um and you told me that Charlie was a bit of a dumpster fire. I knew then we had to do it because I thought. So you just fuck you. <laughs> I told no, you this I is war. You fucking genuinely... up in episode Look, nineteen. I said it is I war. It. it is full metal jazz hands, full assault, and this is part of it. You bought on I, as I as I said, it's not aimed at me. It is clearly a young person musical. I think the young people who aren't you know jaded New Yorkers on Broadway. You know, those assholes um, would really enjoy this show. <laughs> and honestly, enough people came that I really hope that they did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, as an actor, uh, imagine what it must feel like to have written most of the lines that you say and most of the comedic bits that you do in a show. You wrote them, and then yeah. someone else is getting paid money to do them while you were making zero dollars. Like, yeah. most, of, most of the bits in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory were things that that cast came up with on the fly. Um, like there's yeah, a, there's wow. a great bit during pure imagination. It was maybe the cruelest joke I ever played on the audience. Audience is crying. Cause they hear boom, 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 boom. And everyone knows exactly what's got to happen. Christian Borrell mm -hmm. starts singing in his beautiful Barry tenor and he's helping all of the, the young ladies up and then he helps the moms up. And then he walks past me and in tech rehearsal one day to be a bag of dicks to Christian. I just go reach up my little paw just to have him try to help Augustus up. And <laughs> I made, I made him break and he laughed and he goes, he goes, uh, and he kept going. And then all of a sudden we stopped and like, we're going to go back and he goes, do that again. Cause a lot of times as comedians, you'll have something that you like, you miss the take and you go, give that to me again. Like, let's, let's, let's yeah. go back. Mm. And so we went back, gives it to me. He reaches down and he starts to pick up. And so I start to go, like, he's going to help me up. He kisses me on the hand and lets me go. <laughs> and it became a thing in the show of like, it became this amazing moment of Augustus didn't know he weighs a million pounds and he thinks he's going to get helped up and then he gets kissed on the hand and he's like, that's not mean. Um, and, <laughs> and it made the audience laugh. And, and so, so knowing that that's being done on the tour or being taught to other actors, like it was the director's idea. And these are brilliant yeah. people that are working. Like, it's this funny thing that you go as an actor, you slow, you very quickly give up your, your creative material. 
yeah it's gone like a harmony you wrote one day in rehearsal and the music director goes "Ooh, that's good and you go mm. oh yeah i was just feeling it and they go cool the number of songs that i have that the ink that is sold for money now in the mm. the the cast recording or in the script is something that I came up with, like a line I wrote as a joke. Like I'm, you should have seen my face when there was a there was a line in Carrie the musical where uh, Carrie makes the the bully fall off of a skateboard, and in the original '80s production, he said, "With moves like that, you're gonna kill on the dance floor." Um, and I said to our director, "I'm not gonna say that. I'm just not. That's not a thing I'm ever gonna say." So he let me try a bunch of different things one day, just riffing. And I finally landed on something that is now in the script. If you if you produce the play, Carrie, the new version, there's a line where Freddie says, he slips, falls on the floor, and he screams, how's your pussy, princess? And it was because <laughs> I joked it one day, and then when they gave me the piece of paper with the script page on it, I went, what? The thing I said is in the play now? And it's that you went with that of all the things. <laughs> so like there is there is a weird That's thing like legacy. that. So, so it doesn't surprise me that people would see a show on Broadway and think, oh, I want to do that. I'm yeah. going to do it like they did because that's just the way it's done. Yeah. Intellectual property in general is like, like, so when, when is a cover of a song stealing a song versus a yeah. cover? Um, yeah. So it's, it is. it's hard. It's, it's a hard line, but yeah. when people do it, cause they're uh, shitheads and don't want to pay anybody for intellectual property, like directors of, bad community theater directors do that shit all the time and yes. it's unacceptable that is and look I, I think it's the antithesis of theater because and i've said it many times before you have a show you give it to one company they do their interpretation another company does it and they do their interpretation yeah. and so on and show. so forth anyways we, we, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to drop in i have to drop in on my um my daughter's rehearsals of the adams family to see how they've done that straight after Broadway. So yeah. speaking of an Andrew Lippa show, yeah, yes, that's well straight after Broadway. You mean eleven years later? Well, ten, you know, ten years it's, later. But they are doing. They are doing his. I. They've told me it's his, but I'm not allowed at rehearsals because it's all very secret. Mm. Yeah. Also, I'm a dad, and the most embarrassing thing to happen is for your parents to come to your shows. So you know, because they'll be they'll terrible. learn to love it. I promise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just. Be glad I'm attending them and not reviewing them. Anyway. And look, as I've told you, my dad won't even pick up my novels and one of them is dedicated to him. So the fact that you will go see these shows and, no, and learn about musical theatre in this ridiculous nonsense that we're doing, which we should round up. It's ridiculous. Um, I we don't should think round I have up. Any, yeah, no, there's, I've got, there's nothing more. I've got, enough, I've got nothing but admiration for F. But next week... We are Jesus Christ Superstar. Are we? Which obviously you had done the NBC Live mm -hmm. version. Yes, we got Vin next week. Oh, we got Vin? From um, Australian band Tempest Rising. This is your guest. Yes. And yes. yet I know. Who's in a metal band and has played Jesus on... on he's done a little bit of theatre, actually. So, oh. Yeah, across the, the line. It's, um, what album are you giving me? What metal album? It's Corn, I believe. For, it is It is Corn Issues, and that was chosen by our, our guest, Vin, because that's his thing issues um corn issues yeah so i'm i um 
I asked him to choose something else, anything else, but nope, he likes a bit of he likes a bit of new metal. So why didn't he go with his own band? Is he afraid of me? I know Vin well enough to know he's got a great sense of humor. I'll send you his latest album, which they released cool. this year, early last year, and then we'll just fuck. Him. He, he'll think we're talking about corn, and we'll just fuck him up and talk about his own band. Well, I can do that. <laughs> I could I could write a whole review about corn, but it'd actually about be about his music. Who knows what's to come? But anyways, I look forward to next week. Uh, now, where can we find you on social media? Um, F- very, very fortunately, I am on all platforms at hey. F Michael Haney. Hey. So there and, is uh, no other F Michael. No, you'd world, be surprised. Um, yeah. I, I was I was around and had a weird enough name. Just just add an F, and it's uh, <laughs> it makes it unique. Um, but then um, to to you know anyone else's frustration, I do have a YouTube page that I don't update very often because you know um, I'm scared of people. Um, but uh, it has a lot of my original music and some stuff from the show that I've been mm-hmm. working on, and it's uh, YouTube.com/songs in the key of F. F. Yes, yeah. check that out. Yeah, mm. it's yes. um, it's it's fun. You you never the the songs that you uh you know bled real blood and cried real tears are never the ones that get the hits. It's always the weird mm. songs that you kind of didn't like, and then suddenly someone was like, "This is a bop," and you go, "God yeah. damn." So, um, you know, it's it's an interesting cross section of some of my music. I haven't put a lot of it out there. So I have some very supportive friends that uh, want me to share more. Um, And who knows, maybe maybe one day I'll uh, I'll feel more brave. Well, you can include me on that because that you got you got I don't you probably you've listened to this. show. I'm not going to fucking kiss some someone's ass just because you're you. You got talent. I'm going to tell you if you don't have talent, I'm going to tell you. And I think you got a bit of fucking talent and you should be putting more on there. So well, I'm telling you it. off now. All right. Well, yeah. I'll take it to the bank. I want this show to get told off and tell what to do. No, but I, you don't I think, like the you know, musical I was in. You're telling me what to do. <laughs> oh, no, no. I wanted to like the musical. You yeah, me too. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Like, I, I don't know what it was could have been like for you guys to be like, yes, we're going to have this hit. It's going to be this hit. Like, this is it. This is. And then that's well, it's, what it's, happens. And. It, yeah, it's quite clear imagine. that that musical is obviously for people who know fuck all about musical theatre. Yeah, a tourist musical is what you're saying. That's what it is. See, all you theatre people, you don't even know what you... This is not for you. Charlie and the Chocolate yes. Factory is for people like me. There you go. Yeah, there the go. ignoramuses. Don't know <laughs> there it is. That's the second... That's the second... <laughs> anyway, check out F. Michael on all his socials and say, yes. and say hi. Listen to his music. Give him a follow. Now you can do our socials because you remember them, I don't. As I said earlier, I don't know if it'll make the cut. Don't forget to rate and review, leave a comment, jump on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. It's how people find us. The more ratings we get, the more good reviews we get, the further up we go, and the big evil Apple will let us play with the big boys. Check out at Thrash and Treasure on Twitter. Like our Facebook page. It is facebook.com forward slash Thrash and Treasure. You can find me on the Twitters. I'm at not Gareth because I don't have a letter for a first name and I had to stick a whole word in front of my name. Uh, check out the Tonneson Tales, tonnesontales.com.au. They're Aaron's books. Buy them and read them. They're like a little Augustus gloop in a in a fantasy world. Anyway. Ouch. Tonneson is so much more than that. Thank you very much. From that I very, tell you what, I think I think the people page, should read, it? should buy it, read it, and make up their own damn mind. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's a little anyway, asshole. I've been, well, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, I, I think Gareth. Like that. He was meant to be. It's been Aaron. 
You're yes, I have been. I'm meant Thanks to be hosting. So I've been Aaron. That's been All Gareth. Right. <laughs> That's been our special guest for this week, F. Michael Haney. Thank you very much for joining us. And I hope you can get back on the road again as Olaf. I appreciate and, uh, it. Thank you so much, friends. Before you melt. So hopefully COVID <laughs> won't keep you off the stage for too long. And look, throw your hat, uh, throw your hat in the ring for to do the Aussie tour because I know they're coming to Melbourne, right? And Listen, Matt Lee's I could. I absolutely not would. Not going to stay with them. Do it. Do it. Go Back in the old days, you just you're had a to, Disney you know, princess. You can contact Disney theatricals and say, only, "Hey, I hear the Australian tour is going. If you need an understudy, I'm ready to go whenever you need me." So, I mean, you'd have to do two weeks quarantine before you get here. Listen, I would gladly do two weeks quarantine to get out of the crazy shit that's happening in this country. So, yeah, well, Hollywood's all coming here at the moment because, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Amazing. Uh, yeah. So I think that's it. That's a, that's a, that is a it. show. I really appreciate it. it. It was an absolute blast to to talk to you guys. And you know, uh, who knows? Anytime. Maybe maybe one day I'll be on on that side of the world, and uh, we'll we'll grab a cold one and hate something together. Yes, yes. No, definitely. Yeah. I'll show right. you how to really drink a beer. <laughs> there it is. I'm right. the Aussie in this equation. So thanks again, everyone, and Take we care, will guys. see you next time. All right. Excellent. <laughs>